CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, everyone, and bienvenidos. My name is Joshua Smizer de Leon. Stay tuned after this Benny J bonus because an episode of my podcast, it's called the Paseo Podcast. It's coming up right after. Every Thursday, we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community, from La Isla to the diaspora, with a different Boricua in the guest seat each week. I hope you enjoy what you hear. Oh, and special shout out to Ben and Dennis for supporting a kid from Humble Park and his Chicago made podcast. It's appreciated. Now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Vinny <laughs> J. Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. We're calling this Rom the Writer Friday, and here's why. I was hoping you would do this. Uh, yeah, the doctor asked me to do this. I said, coming right up. All right, did you see that uh, Atlantic Monthly fired Rom uh, as a columnist the other day? That is not correct. Let me immediately correct that, okay? I said that earlier today, and someone corrected me. Go, Ben, that's not right. So let me clarify. I've already, the show's 10 seconds old. I've already made a mistake. He didn't, they didn't technically fire him. It's a little more complicated than that. Uh, they dismissed him. They took away his title. They took him off the masthead. I think he was that's contributing correct. it. Thank you, Rob. Robert Mueller. Here's the, the situation. Rahm, of course, is Rahm Emanuel, the uh, former mayor of the city of Chicago, in case you have forgotten. And uh, uh, Rahm Emanuel, after he left office, launched his career in the media. Uh, he has became a contributor to ABC. We've already uh, played some of his insights into what the oh, Democrats yeah. should do. Uh, his recommendations that the Democrats move further right in order to uh, defeat Donald Trump. Our commercial breaks uh, feature those <laughs> clips quite a bit. Yes, we do. I think what's a good idea is we act more like Mitt Romney, and that's how we're going to win the real... Uh, the, and that's how we're going to defeat Donald Trump, uh, Mayor Rahm's advice as a political strategist. Uh, he's written columns for the Washington Post, uh, where he, more the same, where he talks about how the Democrats should move uh, further right. Uh, and uh, he also... Doesn't he work for some kind a hedge fund or something like that, some kind of investment firm, make it big, big time, do re me, uh, with some of the same clients who are probably going to be protected if the Democratic Party moves further right. Aha, I see the light coming on. Oh, Take I a see. chill pill, man. Oh, sorry, Rom. Anyway, so one of the deals that Rom cut early on was that uh, he got himself a gig as contributing editor to Atlantic Monthly. Uh, and uh, soon thereafter, he began writing uh, columns, which, of course, we discussed and analyzed the columns. Well, it turns out that uh, his uh, his getting that gig did not sit well with some of the staffers at the Atlantic Monthly who pointed out uh, the brief history of Mayor Rahm in the city of Chicago. And for, the, for those, we you know, Dee, we have out-of-town listeners. Can't pretend they all know who Rahm is, right? Mm-hmm. We got millennial listeners who are youngsters back in 2011 when Rahm got, we can't pretend they know everything, right? They we weren't even in, where were you in 20? You were still in sixth grade. Or 2011? Oh, right. You're a little older than I that. I just moved to Chicago <laughs> okay. for well, the you, second time all in right, 2011. Well, you weren't paying attention, all right? So you didn't know. Oh, here's the deal. Rom was chief of staff uh, to Barack Obama. Barack Obama and his wife, Michelle Obama, couldn't take another minute of him. So instead of just firing him the way Trump would do, get out of here. You know, say what you will about Donald Trump, all right? Oh, boy. <laughs> 
That's how to get the listeners. Uh, he knows how to fire somebody. Anyway, instead of firing, they felt guilty, you know, because it was Barack Obama who asked Rom to be his chief of staff, and Rom didn't give up his seat in Congress to become Barack Obama's chief of staff, and it really wasn't working out. It was a total disaster. So they kind of ushered him out with this glorious uh, – press conference where all the aides gathered uh, in in the White House and Barack Obama said, what a great job you've been doing. And he left Washington and flew to Chicago and immediately ran for mayor of the city of Chicago, a city he virtually knew nothing about. He didn't know anything about the schools. He didn't know anything about the police department. He had never really lived in the city of Chicago. Uh, His ignorance was... uh, was was just so obvious from the moment he launched his campaign when he got all the schools confused. All right, but good citizens of the city of Chicago, they took a, they thought it over and they go, you know what? We could elect somebody who knows something about Chicago, or we could elect somebody who doesn't know anything about Chicago. I know we'll go with the guy who doesn't know anything about Chicago. Ah, uh, my fellow Chicagoans. He seems cool. Yeah, he li- Barack Obama likes him, Ben. Okay, how many times did I hear that? He's Brock's guy, Ben. Okay. All right. Well, that's good enough, I guess, for Chicago. Anyway, becomes mayor of the city of Chicago. This is for you all out-of-towners who aren't aware of this. And immediately sort of wages war on ordinary Chicagoans, all right, handing out TIF deals to rich people, raising taxes on everybody else, closing mental health clinics and high crime area. Oh, there's a really great idea. And closing schools. Black population is falling. He doesn't care. Closing schools. Chicagoans are like, oh, my God, I didn't realize he was such a jerk. We are never, ever, ever going to vote for him again. That's what they said. I heard it. Okay, I I remember at the Northwestern football game in 2013 when his picture came on the screen. Everybody's booing. Boo! Chicagoans, you could fool us once, but you can't fool us twice because we're really smart. We live in Chicago. Fast forward to 2015, two things happened. One, Barack Obama started doing uh, radio spots for him. He's really a great guy. I know he's rough every now and then, but he's a great guy. Then Rom did the, the commercial with the sweater. Remember that when D, uh, D put the sweater on, like he's a nice guy, yeah. like he's Mr. Rogers. Rom Rogers. Because <laughs> I know I make mistakes. It's on me. And Chicago went everywhere there and melt. It's like M&Ms when you squeeze them. They just melt. Oh, he's such a great... You know, Ben, Barack Obama endorsed him. You know, Ben, takes a tough guy to run a city. You know, Ben, everybody deserves a second chance. And so the great voters of the city of Chicago, having voted him in, even though he knew nothing about Chicago, reelected him, even though they hated him. <sighs> voters, my beloved. You know, I could live anywhere in the world, D, and I've chose to live in Chicago. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I chose know. to live here, okay? I made this my town. I've spent... 30 years writing and studying the city. Anyway, the good voters of the city of Chicago said, I know, we'll double down, we'll reelect them. What happens? Within about eight months, the good voters of the city of Chicago discovered that Rahm had concealing evidence of a murder. Yeah, Laquan McDonald murder by Jason Van Dyke. There was video footage of it. And Rom wouldn't let anybody see it. Nope, nope. Pretended like it didn't exist. Argued that he couldn't reveal it to the public because there was an ongoing investigation. Finally, Cook County judge ordered Rom to release that video. Ordered him in a freedom of information suit filed by a couple of activists. Rom begrudgingly released the video. The city is outraged. Oh, my God. The mayor of the city of Chicago was concealing evidence of a possible murder. 
We're shocked. We're stunned. Hey, to which I pointed, hey, you know, Chicago, I don't know why you're so shocked and stunned. You knew what you were getting the second time around. Okay, I'll concede that the first time around, maybe you were like, you know, a little caught up in the celebrity and, you know, you really weren't paying attention and, you know, you don't really know what's going on. Okay. But the second time around, what was your excuse? Anyway, so now he has this terrible reputation as the guy who concealed evidence uh, of a murder. It's really embarrassing. It, even in the city of Chicago, where voters are really forgiving of powerful mayors, even the voters of Chicago had said, we had enough. And even Rahm decided he couldn't run for re-election, so he did not run. And as you know, he then, uh, Lori Leifer got elected mayor, and Rahm launched his second career, as I already said, where, among other things, he's decided to become a writer which is really interesting. You know, I've spent my whole life doing this, but Rob's like, ah, just become a writer. Why don't I just become a mayor? There you oh, go. That guy can do it. Anybody can. <laughs> That's kind of his act. Well, Ben Jarofsky can do it. Anyone can do it. Anyway, so Rom writes these uh, insightful articles for Atlantic Monthly. I got to give uh, some of the staffers at Atlantic Monthly credit. That's the publication uh, that Rom was working for, of course. They just said to the boss, um, do you think it's really a good idea to have on a masthead a guy who uh, was known for burying evidence of a murder? I mean, you know, we're journalists. We should all be about releasing as much information as we can, having transparency, shedding light, revealing what's really going on. Isn't that why we went into journalism? To share information, not conceal information? Don't you think that would be a good idea? I'm sure they actually said, hey, what's with the douchebag? <laughs> why do we hire him? <laughs> probably that's the def you know that was like the subterranean little message <laughs> that were you know like uh so anyway the editors how do we deal with this how can we get out of this embarrassing situation where we hired this guy who's like the the opposite of everything a journalist should be to be a a, a contributing editor we put him on our masthead so then you know what they decided to do d ah, here's what they decided instead of getting rid of rom they got rid of the masthead <laughs> there we go there's like 30 names of contributing editors we're gonna get rid of all the other guys go we didn't do anything why are you getting rid of us you know it's like well, hey we didn't really know how else to deal with this so we got rid of rom anyway don't worry about Rom. Don't cry for Rom, okay? He landed on his feet. Done with Atlantic Monthly? That's okay. He's over at the Washington Post. I, D, I don't need to take a, uh, as the Beatles would say, take a uh, sad song and make it sadder. Washington Post, guys, just point this out to you. Why would you want to welcome to your newspaper the man who has mayor of the city of Chicago buried evidence of a murder. Just, just not that I want to censor Rob's great ideas or wonderful ideas. You know, his insight, insights on how the, Repub the Democratic Party could uh, defeat Donald Trump by nominating a candidate who's a little to the right of Mitt Romney. Not that, that you, I would ever suggest that you would want to censor that great thought. I'm just saying, I don't know. What is your mission in life? Are you a newspaper? Or is this just cozying up to the powerful? Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. 
today we're giving the floor to our Illinois governor. Governor J.B. Pritzker gave his 2020 state of the or state of the state address this afternoon. And Ben, yes, I've been working all day on it. No, you're unbelievable, folks. You got to hear. Don't talk to me. I'm listening to the speech. We have the audio. Uh, I'm here to tell the carnival barkers, the doomsayers, (laughs) the paid professional critics, the state of our state is growing stronger each day. Don't believe me? Well, consider these facts. All right. Easy. Wait, tell me about carnival barkers. Yeah. Would would he get that? You've never line? heard Carnival Barkers. No, I know, but like I've never heard it in a J.B. Pritzker speech. How about the jugglers and the clowns when they all do their tricks for you from a Bob Dylan song? I wish he had said that. Oh God! When they all did their tricks for you, you never understood that it ain't no good. You shouldn't have other people get your kicks for you. Is anybody still listening? <laughs> Today's state of the state address. Uh-huh. Not only did we get actual things to cheer about, big difference than the last couple of uh, addresses, but today's state of the state address from Governor Pritzker featured some Illinois trivia. Oh, no. Illinois is a state with a grand history of profound impact on our nation and our world. We've sent four transformative presidents to the White House. Mm. We were the first state to ratify two of the most important amendments to the U.S. Constitution. One abolishing slavery and another one granting women the right to vote. The first cell phone was invented here. So was the first television remote control and the first widely used (laughs) internet browser. What all these things have in common. I'm trying to think of the four presidents lincoln uh, technically he was born in kentucky but i'm going to give him all right um put this off the top of my head uh grant ulysses s grant uh ronald w reagan was born in did you know that d reagan was born in illinois no nope. uh <laughs> uh who's the fourth I'm probably somebody I'm just, I don't know. I can't remember. Where's Frank when I need him? He's listening. Uh, Frank! Who is the fourth that we sent? Uh, let's see. Was it? The, I can't think of one right now. The fourth that. Oh! Barack Obama! That's what I was thinking. Duh, Ben. Duh. Okay, can I just say this in my defense? Barack Obama is from Hawaii. Hello! He's not really from <laughs> Illinois. Okay, so. But I guess he would be the fourth, right? Mm-hmm. That was fun, though, right? Some <laughs> Illinois trivia. Who knew that? I did not know that. That was I did that, uh, you know, boom, right there. Big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. Whoa, let me think about Wise that. words from J.B. Pritzker <laughs> today. But that is true. Okay, D? All right. Big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. That's a good point. Well, every dentist office should have that. I know. That's why you have to go get your teeth checked all the time. All right. Let's hear some of the audio from today's State of the State address from our governor, J.B. Pritzker. Let's hear all these accomplishments that uh, went down this year. Today, the Illinois economy supports 6.2 million jobs. This is the most jobs on record for our state. And we now have the lowest unemployment rate in history. Last year, for the first time in nearly 20 years, every major region in our state was growing simultaneously. And even more remarkably, communities in southern Illinois, like Carbondale, have led that growth. Over the past year, Illinois has reduced its unemployment rate more than all of the top 20 most populated states in the nation, and more than our Midwestern peers. 
wow, a roaring, uh, the cheers of the crowd of the Illinois legislature. Uh, I was unaware that the unemployment rate, he says, I, let's just assume that he's correct, that it's falling faster than any other state uh, in the country. You know, Illinois, there's, there is so much doom and gloom about Illinois, uh, as the governor alluded to, because our population is falling. So maybe the unemployment rate is falling because so many people are leaving the state. There's more jobs per person. That's doom and gloom. I'm just kidding, JB. I'm just teasing there. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, a Republican talking point that somehow or other, uh, the high taxes in Illinois, uh, the favorable attitude that Illinois has toward unions, uh, the fact that uh, Illinois resisted Governor Rauner's attempts to destroy collective bargaining rights in this state, that somehow or other that is combining uh, to throw to scare people away from Illinois and uh, induce people to leave the state of Illinois. And what J.B. Pritzker is doing is fighting that notion. And he's saying that uh, we are we should be proud of the fact that there were the most progressive state in the union. Though he didn't come right out and say that in that bite anyway. But we're not really uh, gloom and doom. We're actually thriving. So he is he is swimming against the tide in this one, D, because so much of the reporting about Illinois that comes out of Chicago anyway uh, is filled with gloom and doom. And it was interesting that the little shout out I gave to downstate Illinois. This is your big theme that uh, J.B. Pritzker ignores downstate Illinois. He's obviously from the Chicago area. Uh, so, and that he spends too much of his time in Chicago. This is a big Dennis theme because Dennis, of course, is from downstate Illinois. So clearly J.B. Pritzker is listening to you. That's why I say he's, you're his favorite person on the Ben Jarofsky show. He goes, all right, Dr. Doobie, I realize there's a state south of Chicago and I'm going to pay attention to them. Well, that was too. my favorite part of that uh, audio we just played. Surprisingly, even those hillbillies figured it out. <laughs> My God, I didn't think that would happen. Whoa. All right, Pritzker continues. Student applications to Illinois' public universities increased last fall for the first time in many years. Mm. Illinois is the second largest producer of computer science degrees in the nation, counting for nearly 10% of all computer science degrees awarded in the entire United States. Our great state has an awful lot that's going right. And just look what a difference a year can make. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> Let's see what happened during that year. Oh yeah, you were the governor. Uh, yeah, no, it's. I tell you what, it's a little hard uh, to speak about the great university system in the state of Illinois, uh, D, because we really suffered. Our university system suffered during the Rauner years uh, from neglect. I don't know how much uh, J.B. Pritzker has been able to write that ship. There were a lot of I know a lot of people, uh, kids roughly the age of 18 to 22 uh, who figure it's better off leaving Illinois to go to a college, go to another Big Ten school, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, et cetera, and so forth, because uh, Illinois tuition kept going up. Uh, It was harder to get into Illinois schools was more competitive and there were cuts that they were facing. So this is, if you don't invest in your educational system, you're going to pay a price for it. Uh, And this is the price that we've been paying. And so I don't, you know, I'd have to take a deeper dive into this one to see if it's as uh, glorious as J.B. Pritzker is saying. And uh, just a heads up for anyone wondering, uh, no, J.B. Pritzker did not give any details on the 2020 butter cow. 
It's the <laughs> butter cow, which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right. It's made entirely out of butter. And, it, you know, it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. 1922. Sorry. I always forget that. Sorry to bum all you listeners out. But we do have more accomplishments. We passed a bipartisan, truly balanced budget on time with renewed investments in job creation, cradle to career education and physical and mental health care. Even the credit rating agencies and financial analysts described a distinct improvement in our fiscal stability and investors took notice and lowered our state's borrowing rate. I don't remember the bipartisan part of the uh, bill passing. I, there may have been one or two Republicans involved. I just don't remember, D. I don't remember really a strong bipartisan effort here uh, in the state of Illinois pretty much in the last 10 years. But uh, I do not remember. I do know that Republicans spent the better part of the last six or seven or eight years trying to utterly demonize and scare voters about Michael Joseph Madigan. I remember that. I just don't remember the bipartisan. But I'll take you at your word, J.B. Pritzker. Uh, that maybe one Republican voted for that budget or maybe two Republicans voted for the budget. Terry Cosgrove always comes to the studio and talks about uh, for personal PAC how there are no Republicans that will uh, support them on abortion rights uh, issues. I can't remember how many Republicans supported uh, the Democrats on the issue of uh, marriage for gays. I, I don't I don't know if any Republicans who are actually not running for re-election or excuse me, who were running for re-election uh, voted for that. So uh, bipartisan and it's kind of a weak, uh, it's a, weak, a sore subject here in Illinois. It's not one of our strengths in Illinois. Anywhere, actually, now that I think about it. Big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. Remember that. Yeah, I remember that. A I wise man once said, big problems become big <laughs> problems when you let small problems sit. You know, I got a cavity right now. I'm feeling it, okay? I got to go to the dentist. I'll see you, all right? Get that drill. But wait, there's more. Oh, okay. For the first time in a decade, we passed a bipartisan uh, infrastructure bill. Okay. Rebuild Illinois will create and support 500,000 jobs in this state as we fix our aging and crumbling roads and bridges, bring broadband to parts of this state that are internet deserts, as well as modernize our hospitals, our community centers, our state police facilities, our universities and colleges, all the things that keep us going and growing. Last year, we made enormous strides toward equality and opportunity when Democrats and Republicans came together to legalize adult use cannabis with the most equity centric legislation in the nation, which will result in 63,000 new jobs and new opportunities for entrepreneurs, especially those from communities that have been left behind. It gives us a chance to collect tax revenue from the residents of Wisconsin and Missouri and Iowa and Indiana. Yeah, Dr. Doobie loves that part of the speech. Look, that's the greatest accomplishment I think the state made last year. But that uh, uh, the public works bill is no joke either. A little investment uh, in uh, the public works of Illinois is welcome as all. Well. Bruce Ronner uh, ignored that. You remember, again, that was part of his uh, scheme uh, to sort of... Uh, 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 
Yay for our teachers! Yeah. Yay for our teachers! Uh, extort, uh, twist the arms of Democrats uh, into uh, selling out the unions. I'm not going to invest any money in our public works until you just uh, undercut the unions. Well, it didn't work, but uh, so yeah, the reefer bill very important. Although I got to tell you, uh, it's it's always interesting. It's like to see the little spasms of anti-reefer activity. Uh, today's bright one, my beloved bright one. Had an article by Tommy Two Joint Shuba uh, talking about how it, uh, in the north side of Chicago, in the Gold Coast, uh, they filled up a, a restaurant with concerned citizens who were really worried about what was going to happen to their neighborhood. Did you, I don't know. Did you see this? <laughs> a cannabis shop comes in. You know, how much traffic is going to be there? And will there be criminals? And, you know, just it's like everybody's like a worry ward. You know what I mean? Oh, it's a cannabis shop. Huh, there could be some crime related to it. I'm very worried about it. How much of traffic? Everybody like such a like turns into a 95 year old grandma or grandpa. I'm worried about this <laughs> when it comes to cannabis. You know what? I, I say it all the time. People have been robbing banks for years. I don't see people in the loop concerned about a bank coming in. I'm worried about that bank. Anyway, it's a great thing that the state of Illinois passed uh, the cannabis bill. Call it cannabis, D, all right? Lisa Solomon wants you to call it cannabis from now on, not reefer. Oh, yeah, I got it. All right, write it down. Yeah, we're terrible at that. I know. Uh, So it's good that Illinois passed uh, the uh, cannabis bill. And uh, three cheers for uh, Governor Pritzker on it, because there's no way in the world that would have passed under Bruce Rauner. Going to the live stream chat now, we asked all of you, who is Lori Lightfoot's favorite Ben Jarofsky show guest? Who did you say it was again, Ben? Joanna Kalonsky, mm-hmm. strategist. Uh, Pete Cunningham, PC. Uh, Adam. Well, Kyle's offering up some sarcasm this afternoon. <laughs> Kyle says, Lori Lightfoot's favorite Ben Jarofsky show guest? SDG. Stacey Davis Gates. Yeah, that's a good one. Who said that, Kyle? Kyle. Yeah, no, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, SDG is not at the top of any list. We encourage all of you to weigh in on the Bendrowski <laughs> Show live stream chat room if you're listening. Who is Lori Lightfoot's favorite Bendrowski Show guest? I'm going for Mark Sims. I'm not a guest. I'm a producer. Oh, yeah. Everybody loves you, though. They all love you. They oh, I love Dennis. Uh, Mark Sims. Did, I, you know what? Let's call Mark and see if he voted. For, I just can't remember if he voted for Lori. I know he's a big Rahm Emanuel guy. Love teasing him about hey, that. Hey, Illinois done a lot in the last year. Let's, oh, I'm scared. We got more. Yeah, okay. We did big things to help people, mm-hmm. real people who live and work here every day. We raised the minimum wage. We advanced equal pay for women and minorities, provided millions of Illinoisans relief from high interest on consumer debt, and expanded health care to tens of thousands more people across our state. We are reaffirming that our most important commitments are to our children and their education. Mark my words, Illinois will be the best state in the nation to raise a young family. You hear that, Iowa? (laughs) Indiana? Yeah. Coming uh, for you. He did raise the minimum wage. I got to give him credit for that. And uh, I'm not quite sure about the expanding the health care part. I'm not knowing what he's talking about. Health care is a huge problem in this country. Uh, It'd be... It's the reason why I think that Bernie Sanders is ahead in the polls, because most people recognize it as a huge problem, even though the Dems are doing everything they can to undercut Bernie. So, you know, we don't get health care. You don't want health care. You don't want it. It's no good for you. All right. Let's keep the system that we have.
Uh, but uh, so I'm not quite sure what he's talking about, about the health care. But I got to give him credit for the minimum wage. I got to give him credit uh, for the reefer bill. Uh, I got to give him credit for passing a budget. I got to give him credit for the uh, public works projects. He's a much better governor than the one that was before him. So I think he's probably I'm going to say this right now. The best governor Illinois has had. All right. Wow. How about that? And finally, what would a state of the state address? Hold it. Before we forget, I just said all this. But did anyone in this room actually vote for J.B. Pritzker in the 2018 uh, primary? Oh, hell no. <laughs> just, I just thought I'd throw that out there. I voted Bob Diver, baby. Well, we got to get down to business. Yeah. All wish, right. Wish I had to. And finally, what would a state of the state address in Illinois be without addressing all that damn dirty corruption? It's time to end the practice of legislators serving as paid lobbyists. In fact, it's time to end the for-profit influence peddling among all elected officials at every level of government in Illinois. Most states have a revolving door provision for legislators, and it's time for Illinois to join them. Elected officials shouldn't be allowed to retire and immediately start lobbying their former colleagues. It's wrong, and it's got to stop. There are many more ethics reforms that must be addressed this spring, and I expect the legislature's bipartisan ethics commission to issue its report in the next eight weeks. Restoring the public's trust is of paramount importance. Let's not let the well-connected and the well-protected work the system while the interests of ordinary citizens are forgotten. There is too much that needs to be accomplished to lift up all of the people of Illinois. The overwhelming majority of people involved with government and public policy and politics here in Illinois truly just want what is best for this state. From legislators to citizen activists to reporters, they chisel away at intractable problems and put their shoulders into making real, lasting institutional change. They don't get distracted or dejected, whether they're battling poverty, fighting for increased education funding, or fixing the unglamorous but essential problems of our state's IT infrastructure. Illinois is full of people who love our state and are willing to work earnestly every day to fight for her. Which is why we have to be committed to the hard work of changing another aspect of the political culture in this state that has too often rewarded a go-along-to-get-along attitude at the expense of truly ethical conduct. When I took office a year ago, I hired people who came from all walks of life, all different backgrounds, who were diverse in gender, in race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, geography, and life experience and whose only loyalty is to good ideas and good results. Mm. And I took heat for it from some who had been here a very long time. Many were incredulous that I wasn't just automatically hiring the same old faces that get jobs year in and year out. A commitment to diversity and inclusion is not just a talking point for me, and I hope that the past year has proven that. All right, I'm with him 100% on diversity and inclusion. Uh, I like the shout out that he gave to reporters. I don't know. I, I can't recall the last time a politician had something nice to say about reporters. I don't know if he meant caught that. He was talking about all the good people in Illinois. Um, but in the issue of the lobbyists, you know, I have to uh, come uh, forth with a confession here, D. Uh, <laughs> I've always struggled with reformers in Chicago and Illinois. 
And that's because reformers when it, in Chicago and Illinois, in my humble opinion, and don't get mad at me, reformers, because I'm just going to say it, they overlook like the social inequities by and large. It's always things like, well, uh, how many months should an alderman wait before he or she beca- can become a lobbyist and lobby the city? That's the paramount issue in their life. Like reformers are really, I like the people are really concerned about Kim Fox. What did she know and when did she know it? But they're not, you know, so worried about like just the, the thousands of people who uh, on the West and the South sides who got arrested all these years uh, for doing the same thing that white people did all the time, smoking reefer. Okay. So they, they worry about like, you know, the, the things that I don't think are essentially the biggest problems that the state or the city faces. That's reformers. They're always worried about how many lot. So this issue of lobbyists, I'm all over the map on this one, D. On one hand, yeah, I don't know why we have any paid lobbyists. There's something that just smacks of, uh, of a conflict of interest right there. So maybe we should have a law that would outlaw any kind of paid lobbyist. But then immediately that would be ruled unconstitutional, I'm sure. Uh, So I go the other way, the libertarian way. Why are we restricting anybody's right to make a living? Why do we have a law that says just because you were an alderman one year, you can't immediately turn around and lobby your former colleagues? The real issue is the other colleagues. They don't have to listen to you. You know, just because, let's say, you're Alderman Doobie from uh, the Alton Ward, and I'm Alderman, haven't smoked reefer since 1980, and you come and knock on my door and say, Ben, we were best friends, you should vote for XYZ, I should have the right to say no, D. I've listened it's to you. It's Alderman Doobie. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Alderman Doobie, I Thank disagree you. with you. Issue, it's like, they always go, we need new laws to clean up the state. What? Look, what, what law did not already exist that Martin, that Martin Sandoval did not know about? Martin Sandoval is the state senator who was uh, just pled guilty to uh, take for bribing. All right. What, the law already existed that he violated. He knew when he violated that he was breaking the law. When Louis Arroyo sat down with Terry Link, although Link denies that he was the guy, and they were wheeling and dealing and passing money back and forth and promises and they were bribing, the law... Monroe Anderson has entered the room. And Sergio Mims. It's a twofer. So the law already existed. They always talk about, we need more laws. You already knew that it was illegal to take a bribe. What possible new law do you need for that? Sergio Mims checking out our new array of alcohol that Mark Sims brought here yesterday. No drinking on the show. So it's like they pass new laws. It just seems like the more laws they pass, the more corruption there is. I don't know. I remember when they reformed uh, uh, campaign contributions. It was the biggest joke in the world. That passed about six years ago, I want to say. Uh, and there was a huge loophole in in the, the reform that enabled uh, a gazillionaire like J.B. Pritzker or Bruce Rauner to fund their own campaigns. There was no limit when they self-funded their campaign. Somehow that was reform. So I, it just seems like the more Illinois reforms, passes reforms, the less reform there is. Anyway, Monroe Anderson, he's just, he's like, oh, that's outrageous, Ben. He's for reform. He's ready to talk about it. Well, before we go to Monroe, we got to read your comments on the YouTube live stream chat. Shout out to everyone who has done so. Kyle says, oh, this speech from Ben about lobbyists and politicians brought to us by that certificate from the Chicago City Club. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. Who 
said that? That's Kyle. Kyle's a wise. Where's my certificate? My certificate's hidden by all the wine that uh, Mark Sims brought yesterday. I'm going to put that. Proud of that certificate, Kyle. All right. We went and asked all of you, uh, who is Lori Lightfoot's favorite Ben Jarofsky show guest? She's got no public events today, so I'm assuming she's going to listen to today's program. Our good friend Jay Marie weighed in. She said, uh, not Troy LaRavia. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I wonder what Lori thinks of Monroe Anderson. Uh, you know, I wonder if she's a fan of Monroe Anderson. I know she's not a huge fan of Sergio Mims. No, no. And then our friend Benjamin weighed in. He says, uh, can, hey, guys, can you get candidate Lori in to have a debate with Mayor Lori? Oh, wow. That's that's really good. And true. <laughs> Who would win that debate? I think, uh, well, they all everybody's weighed in here and said, oh, candidate Lori would destroy Mayor Lori. Yeah, candidate Lori. Candidate Lori was like, sounded like me. Ben, you're right. I think those. I thought that was my name for a while. Ben, you're right. <laughs> and Brianna finally weighs in, and she says, "I'll say it again. JB Pritzker is doing a fabulous job. The state is in good hands." I, I'm with her. I think JB. We teased him. We had a lot of fun oh, at his yeah. expense like today. We, we, we've okay. Like I'll just say right now, we've teased JB Pritzker when he was running, and we're going to keep doing it. No. I think he's doing a great job too. All right. Turns out he's in power, and that's comedy. You yeah. kind of mock those in power, I'll, right? I'll talk to that. Oh, a marijuana joke from Monroe Anderson. He'll be at Zanies later this week. Hey, everybody. Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. More fallout from the bribery guy, former state senator Martin <laughs> Sandoval. But first, some not so serious news. As a wise governor once said on Wednesday, big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. And by God, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker is putting his state of the state statements into action. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Big problems become big problems when you let small problems. Scott, how does that tooth do it? You go to the dentist? <laughs> I can't afford it. All right. Now, if you recall, we had a little problem last summer when the country music band oh. Confederate Railroad yeah. was booked to play the DeCoin State Fair. Mm -hmm. The band's logo features a Confederate flag. The governor got wind of it and decided to cancel the performance. Some of our downstaters were up in arms. It was kind of childish. All the ingredients of a little problem. Mm -hmm. Well, our governor and company may have officially nipped that at the bud by booking a man who may arguably be the best country music performer of the early 2000s. Ben, put on your cowboy hat. Toby Keith is oh. coming to the Illinois State Fair. That's correct. Toby Keith. <laughs> Big fan of Toby Keith. Uh, my favorite Toby Keith song is, You Gotta Know When the Who, When the Who, The When the Fo, The When the Walk Away. That's his cover version. That's Kenny Rogers. Uh, <laughs> you can't name one Toby Keith song? Yeah. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition you know i stopped listening to mu new music after 79 oh my god we, we, know. we, we have know. a bonus show today where um uh leor uh, galio from the chicago reader is coming in to talk about the 50 greatest albums records of the last decade deep what am i gonna do i'm gonna have to pretend i know what he's talking about you're yeah. gonna have to help me out right all right i'll see what i can do i'll be like oh yeah i love love, love that song by the way uh, beer for my horses is a toby keith song oh I thought that was Charlie Pride. Nope. Uh, beer, beer for my horses. Whiskey Girl is a Toby Keith song. I thought that was uh, Tanya Tucker. No, no. We're moving on. <laughs> a Toby Keith summer performance mm -hmm. announcement in January. Even Confederate Railroad fans can say here, an olive branch has been extended. <laughs> big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. Uh, also booked to perform, Uncle L himself, rapper LL Cool J. Oh. And hold on to the wheel, white guys in their mid-30s. Puddle of Mud will be performing at the Springfield oh, State Fair wait, as out. well. 
I, I, and I have a confession to make. I have never. It's called Puddle of Mud. The band is called Puddle of Mud. You've heard of them? Yeah. I've never heard of them. Look That's for f- me. Look for me in the mosh pit, everybody. I'm going. <laughs> uh, wait. I have, love Puddle. Have of they mud. reached out to Snoop Dogg? Not yet, but they got a little cool J. All right, but if you recall. Part of the big problem that became a big problem from a small problem or whatever it was, was when uh, J.B. Pritzker cut, uh, ripped up the contract with the Confederate Railroad, one of the Republican downstate legislators said, how come you would have let Snoop Dogg uh, perform? Mm-hmm. And I thought J.B. Pritzker did a pretty good job of pointing out the difference between the symbol of the uh, Confederate flag and the rambling of one just one uh, rapper. I thought he did a good job of that. I remember when Toy Hutchinson came on the show and just ripped Confederate Railroad. Remember that? Anyway, so no word from Snoop Dogg? No word from uh, Snoop D-O-double-G quite yet. Did they invite him to the uh, the state fair this not year? Not yet. Was, you're not a big LL Cool J fan. You're not impressed with the LL Cool J I booking. saw. He, I, he, I, the only thing I know about him is he's at the uh, Oscars. I mean, the Grammys. Did you know that? Yeah. You didn't know that. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah it's he, LL Cool J. Yeah. Okay. Come on, dude. Yeah. Name he, one LL Cool J song. Um, yes, walk this way. Oh my god, <laughs> mama said, knock you out. I thought that was by uh, Confederate. We're flag. done, we're done. <laughs> shout out to KM, shout out to KMA Barry on the live stream chat. He says, if Toby Keith lived in Illinois, he would have voted for Bruce Rauner. <laughs> Yay for our teachers! Yay for our teachers! Would he, by the way? Yeah, I think is so. he Republican? Yeah. Are there any country singers, excuse my utter ignorance, who are de- Democrats other than Willie Nelson? Well, if they are, they're hiding it pretty well. Not Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson's out there. I like him. Give yeah, him credit yeah. for that. Yeah. All right. So, like I said, look for me in the mosh pit there. Puddle of Mud going to be performing. <laughs> are you a Puddle of Mud so, fan? I mean, I'm a white guy in my mid 30s. Uh, they have a place in my heart. Can you name one Puddle of Mud song? Yeah. She Hates Me. There's an F word in there, though. She Hates Me is one of the songs. Wow, you know your stuff, man. Take It All Away, I think, was another one. I never even heard of the group until you just mentioned it. All right, moving on. More local political figures are making their primary presidential endorsements known to the public. On Tuesday, Illinois U.S. Rep. Brad Schneider announced that he will be backing former Vice President Joe Biden, or as Ben called him on the program, Joey B. (laughs) Makes him sound a little younger, by the way. (laughs) And thanks to Benny J., we learned Schneider's endorsement was really not a big surprise, was it? Not at all. Come on. We all knew that we'd... It would either be Joey B or Pete Buttigieg, so one or the other. Well, kind of the same thing uh, with the following endorsements. Not a big surprise, but endorsements nonetheless. Illinois State Rep Delia Ramirez, Chicago Alderman Daniel Laspata, and Michael Rodriguez are endorsing Mr. $27 (laughs) himself, Senator Bernie Sanders. Ben, which wards are Alderman Laspata and Rodriguez? Come on, man. Laspata's first ward. And as you know, he replaced Proco Joe Moreno, your personal favorite. And Michael Rodriguez is the 22nd ward. And as you know, uh, he replaced Ricky Munoz. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know who Puddle of Mud is. Yeah, I know. You need to work on that. There's only so much room in a brain for information. Okay, if I'm going to remember every alderman of the first ward, D, going back to the 70s, I'm going to have to cut something out. And what gets cut out? 90s rock band. Sorry, guys. Oh, and my apologies. Uh, Pat Rod weighed in on the live stream chat. Uh, the name of the song from Puddle of Mud, Blurry, not Take It All Away. It's called oh, Blurry. Little Mr. I Know Everything About Puddle of Mud. Turns out you're wrong. Huh? I know. <laughs> Take away my uh, Puddle of Mud. I still think you guys are just 
playing with me. I think you guys are just all making fun of me. There is no group called Puddle of Mud. No, there's a group called Puddle of Mud. I'm going to ask Lior Galil about that, okay, see if he knows about Puddle of there Mud. There you go. Tune in. Find uh, It's our Benny J <laughs> bonus uh, interview with Lior Galil. Uh, find out about Puddle of Mud on that uh, program. Wait a Reel the listeners in on that one. All right, here's the quote from Delia Ramirez. Quote, I believe that what Bernie is building is most consistent with who I am and what I am committed to as a woman of color who has dedicated her life to social services, racial and economic justice, and fighting to end homelessness. Mm-hmm. Delia Ramirez, yeah, she is uh, one of the uh, new breed of Northwest Side, uh, left of center politicians who got elected. I'm not, is she actually calls herself a Democratic Socialist? I cannot recall that. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it's a new uh, younger generation of uh, Bernie activists here in the city of Chicago. There's six of them in the city council, and there's several of them in the state legislature. Man, things have changed. Uh, in in uh, Illinois politics. We were talking about this with Rob Martwick uh, when he was on the show, State Senator Rob Martwick. During the age of Rom, if we can go back to uh, that topic, age of Rom, where Rom uh, was such a powerful person in not just the city of Chicago, but really in the, the state Democratic Party, uh, progressives was a bad word. It was so bad that uh, the, a lot of the legislators, when Mark Rick tried to put together a progressive caucus in Springfield, he, he loves telling the story, he couldn't get people to join him because they didn't want to be associated or affiliated with the troublemakers who were going calling themselves progressives in the city of Chicago who dared to defy Rob, Scotty Wagsback, John Arena, et cetera, and so forth. And so now, of course, things have changed. Rob's on the outs. It's so bad that the, the writers at the Atlantic Monthly are rebelling just because if he has his name, on the uh, on the masthead, uh, he was pretty much run out of Chicago by the voters who said, we, we really will get it right this time. We re-. By the way, D, I'm not quite sure they would have. You know what? I'm just throwing that out there. I love my I love my city. I love my fellow Chicagoans. <laughs> but when it comes to voting, when it comes to electing mayors, oh, God, they're if they're like. They're like the Bulls. Oh, wait, I'm not allowed to do a sports metaphor. They're like the Bears drafting a quarterback. They just can't. They get panicky and sweaty and they go, I'm nervous. I'm going to go for the incumbent, the all-powerful guy, even though I hate him. So anyway, I still think they may have reelected Rom, even though they hate him. Uh, But there's a new generation of progressives in the city of Chicago, in the state of Illinois. Delia Ramirez is one of them. Not afraid to call themselves progressive. Not like it was about eight years ago. And can we come up with a different word for us? Like, I don't know, liberal or, um, you know, independent or reformer. Not progressive. It's too scary. All right, well, now that we've had some good, clean fun here on the Ben Jarofsky Show, let's get down in the mud, or a puddle of mud, if you will, and discuss this damn dirty Illinois corruption and the ongoing saga known as Sandoval Gate. <laughs> Party Sandoval. Nobody ever even heard of the guy. He's a state senator for the Southwest. No one heard about him. So, you know, he got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Uh, this update brought to you by Safe Speed, the red light camera company. <laughs> it's not true. He's joking, folks, okay? The following comes from ABC7 Chicago. When former state senator Martin Sandoval pleaded guilty to bribery charges and named the red light camera company Safe Speed as the source of the dirty money, he caused 
aftershocks across the political landscape in Illinois. Illinois Politico got the scoop on this one. Cook County State's attorney Kim Fox said that she's giving a donation from former Senator Martin Sandoval to charity in light of his admission of bribery. According to the State Board of Elections, Sandoval gave Fox $5,000 in 2016. Fox's team says the funds will be split between Black Ensemble Theater and the Chicago Children's Advocacy Center. Here's the quote from Kim Fox spokeswoman Sylvia Ewing, quote, we vet all contributions coming into the campaign to comply with our ethical standards. The moment we learn a donor no longer meets those standards, we immediately donate the funds to a charitable organization. Now, Ewing did not respond to a question about donations uh, connected to Alderman Ed Burke. Ben of what ward? 14th. What a dork. <laughs> Who's also been charged with corruption. Though Fox relinquished Burke's personal donations to charity, she has held on to some $30,000 donated by others at a fundraiser at Burke's home. Wait, time out. So she kept the money. Okay, I, I'm, all, I'm starting to really think about this. Like, why do you have to give up the money? I'm just thinking about this. All right? A PR, I guess. I, it's PR. I, I, look, Marty Sandoval gave money to Kim Fox, Ramana Hussein's company. She's our ethicist around here. Maybe she can shed some light in this. Marty Sandoval donates money to Kim Fox. That's his way of, I don't know, showing that he, he, she's his ally. How, how does that make her done something wrong? Just in general, this whole thing where people give back the money uh, all the time, it's just like there's something McCarthyistic about it. You know what I'm saying? It's just sort of like, what is that what makes Chicago corrupt? Is that what makes Chicago corrupt? That uh, you have an all, uh, uh, a state senator like Marty Sandoval who contributes to Kim Fox's campaign or contributes to this one's campaign or that one's campaign? Uh, is that what makes Chicago corrupt? How about the way we just like give billions of dollars to developers who don't need it for their upscale projects? Is that not a form of corruption? No, we call that, uh, what do we call that? Economic development. So it's really, Chicago's just got this weird thing, this obsession. Did Kim Fox, like, did she participate with Marty Sandoval and his bad doings? No. So I don't know why she has to feel compelled to give back the money. I understand the PR aspect, as they say, Ramana, the optics of it. I understand the PR move. And, and and I guess it becomes an attack ad for the other. She took money from Marty Sandoval. But everybody's giving money to everybody else in the city of Chicago. I mean, when Ed Burke, who was perhaps, I don't know, the arguably most corrupt alderman of the last 20 years, he, it's like on a routine basis, he gives money to aldermen when they get in or when they got in, not anymore. So I don't know this this compulsion that Chicago has. To sh we're going to show how clean we are and how saintly we are by giving back the money to somebody, and then the corruption just continues anyways. I don't, I don't know. There's just something about it, D. It just doesn't strike me right. Our Chicago Sun Times colleague Ramana Hussein is here. Ramana, get ready. You're going to have to make Super Bowl predictions. <laughs> yes, she's oh, going to make. I it. don't even know who's playing awesome. in Super Bowl. I told you she awesome. wouldn't know. I, I told so you she wouldn't know. <laughs> I was going to Google it before I came in. <laughs> Uh, ABC 7. By the way, it's in the back of your uh, Sun-Times. Okay, I'm going to help out Ramana. The Sun-Times, there's the front section, which is the hard news. Turn it over, you got the sports section. ABC 7 <laughs> confronted House Republican oh, leader Jim Durkin. <laughs> ABC confronted uh, House leader 
Jim Durkin about the uh, $7,500 he'd received from Safe Speed. Durkin said, quote, I don't want that money. It will be sent off to a charity in my area, and we will be doing that very soon. But in hindsight, you don't know. You expect that people are going to play within the rules and acting a lawful manner, but I will not accept that tainted money. All right, it's tainted money. Okay, <laughs> Durkin. In January 2018, okay. Safe Speed made a donation of $5,000 to Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raul. Is he giving the money back? What do you think? Yes, because it's tainted money. Raul said on Thursday, quote, I haven't decided what charity yet, but uh, it is my intent to donate the contribution to the charity. How about the Ben Jarofsky show? There's a charity. Give it to the Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, I got to pay rent like tomorrow. That would be awesome. <laughs> I don't know. Everybody it's in so Illinois. crazy. Oh, God, it's, um, it's so much money. It's considered bad. Meanwhile, I'm trying to find 750 bucks to pay for, to live in my apartment one more month. Yeah, come on. Help out, D. Come on, Kwame Raul. Give it to the the Dr. Doobie uh, fund. How about that? Uh, I just let's just ask Romana. She's a generation, a couple generations after me. Have you ever heard of a group called Puddle of Mud? Yeah. OK. <laughs> They're performing at the Springfield State Fair. I, I With never Toby Keith? Yeah, Toby Keith. No, wait, time out. Cool J? Not with Kobe Keith. Oh, I mean, like, they're on the, the lineup. Yeah, Puddle they're of Mud, the they're like late 90s, early 2000s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. kind of like... Can you name one song by Puddle of Mud without looking at your phone? No, but I, I, I remember them. I yeah, remember yeah, them. yeah. I forgot. Blurry I, is one of the songs. What song? Blurry. Blurry. You said something else. She Hates oh, Me. Oh, She Hates Me is another Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I never heard of either one. I know that song. I thought he was joking. I still <laughs> think he's joking. Oh. I still don't not sure i believe that there's a group called puddle i mean mud. and if we're lucky maybe we'll get a uh, a jam between puddle of mud uh toby keith and ll cool j all in one performance all oh, cross your fingers R ramana's favorite toby keith song is you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold kenny them. rogers oh, these are real issues today is to sound the alarm the trundling is happening all the time puerto rico sits between two fault lines the central government does not have the capacity to be able to deal with this type of situation. It was the governor that admitted there is no emergency plan wow. for earthquakes. Wow. This is where stateside, we have to exercise our social capital, our political capital, and our conscience. This is a humanitarian crisis and we will not allow it to happen again. Hi everyone. That was Cristina Pasiones-Zayas, co-chair of the Puerto Rican Agenda in Chicago at a press conference announcing the reactivation of the Chicago Puerto Rican Agenda's 3Rs campaign for earthquake relief. I am switching up the intro for this week's episode because I want to share what Puerto Ricans in the diaspora here in Chicago are doing for earthquake relief. Since December 28, 2019, close to 1,300 earthquakes have hit Puerto Rico with the largest being a 6.4 magnitude quake. In response, Chicago's Puerto Rican agenda has reactivated their 3Rs campaign to rescue, bring relief, and rebuild the hardest hit parts of La Isla. Learn more about and or donate what you can to the 3Rs campaign at PuertoRicanChicago.org. Again, that's PuertoRicanChicago.org. I'll include the link in the show notes along with a link to the latest piece I wrote for Latino Rebels about the campaign. You can also stay up to date with the PR Agenda's earthquake relief efforts on their Facebook page. Now, on with the show.
Bienvenido. Ahora está escuchando el Paseo Podcast, donde destacamos las historias de la comunidad, por la comunidad y para la comunidad puertorriqueña. Bienvenidos a todos. You are listening to the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smyzer de Leon, and I want to thank you for downloading this episode. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are streamed, give this podcast a like and subscribe to it. It makes a world of difference. We started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here in Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. On this week's episode of the Paseo Podcast, I am joined by Sabrina Alicea. She is the creator of Shop La Maestra. She's a seventh grade Chicago public school teacher, member of the Chicago Teachers Union, CTU Local One, and a Chicago Boricua with a master's degree from the Ivy League. We are going to talk about Sabrina's Shop La Maestra brand, life as a POC at Harvard University, the realities of being a Chicago public school teacher, and the recent CTU strike, and a whole lot more. I normally like to keep these episodes down to about 30 minutes or so, but just like with Cristina Pasiones Zayas last week, I had to push this interview to an hour. We covered so much ground, I just had to include everything that Sabrina and I talked about. I couldn't help myself, and I hope you don't mind. If you like what you hear or have a question about today's episode, let us know on our social media channels on Twitter and Facebook at Paseo Podcast. That's at P-A-S-E-O Podcast. We also take topic pitches, so if you have any topic suggestions, feel free to send those too. Now, let's jump into the conversation with Sabrina. We are here live in the Puerto Rican Cultural Center studios located and based in Chicago, Illinois. I am here with Sabrina Alicea, a seventh grade CPS teacher and creator and founder of Shop La Maestra. Sabrina, welcome to the Paseo Podcast. How are you today? Thank you for having me. I'm great. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. It's a beautiful day. Um, What should our audience know about you? I like to introduce myself and tell people that I am a loud and proud Chicago Puerto Rican no matter where I am. I teach seventh grade reading and that's my my pure passion. Um, I started my blog Shop La Maestra and the business kind of after looking around and seeing that there wasn't a lot of representation of Latinas in education um, and that led me to this whole beautiful path that brought me right back to Chicago. That's awesome. So talk a little bit more about Shop La Maestra. What is it? What's the mission? Why does it exist? It started, um, like I said, when I was looking at, at, you know, I was going to go to grad school and I was looking around at uh, like different women that I knew that went to grad school and I really couldn't find any other Latinas. I was living in L.A. at the time and I was thinking about this idea of representation and how I didn't know a lot of careers. So the shop actually started with doing features of Latinas that I met in L.A. Um, And so it was really cool because I, I got to interview so many different women who were taking completely crazy career paths that I had never even thought of. Um, I had interviewed a woman who started a cotton candy business that is Latino-inspired flavors. I interviewed a woman who was a uh, fashion designer. She was on, um, oh my goodness, what is that? What was that show? It was the one with the clock, Flavor, Flavor of Love. Oh, Flavor, Flavor of Love, of love. Yes. yeah, Flavor of Love. Yep, yeah, she yeah. was on uh-huh. that, and so she told me stories about like being in the closet. Um, we interviewed a welder. 
which was awesome because there's not a lot of representation of that at all. Yoga instructors, all these different women. And I made the shirts to go with the features to like do a photo shoot of the women and all of that. And um, I was just going to do it short term. I was like, I'll do this over the summer. When I go away to school, I'll stop it. And it just took off. The environment out there was really, really hot for it. Everybody loved it. So I would do these pop-ups and people would come just for my shirts. And, mm. it, and it was like awesome to see. So I haven't stopped it. I've just continued to do it and built different things within the brand. I tie it to my teaching. Um, so it started under a different name and it's evolved as I've evolved and kind of figured out who I am. Were you born in Chicago? Yeah, I was born and raised in Chicago. Okay. I moved to LA in like 2015, I think. Okay. I just wanted a break. I was like sick of, of the weather. I was yeah. sick of, at the time I was teaching, I was sick of my job. Like I, I had a really hard time. I was teaching third and fourth grade. And um, I, so I moved out there and I was there for about two and a half years. One of the years I was in grad school in Boston mm -hmm. um, and it was still kind of my home base. Yeah. But then I, as soon as I knew when I went to grad school that I was going to come back to Chicago. So you're in L.A. That, is that why you have kind of like I look at the shirts, Educated Latina, and I look at that font. Mm -hmm. It looks like a very L.A. inspired yeah. font. It's purposeful. Yeah. The, the font was actually inspired by my dad. So my dad okay. used to do a lot of like graffiti and tagging when I was younger. And I remember when I got my high school diploma, that font was in the diploma too. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yo, this font, like we always thought it was a hood font, but they put <laughs> it in the diploma. Yep, so it's like yeah. this double meaning and that, that was why I chose it. I thought it was perfect for, for that shirt. That's awesome. And then yeah. so you mentioned like going to pop-ups and, mm -hmm. and, selling, and selling your product. Like, is this something that can only be found if you happen to be at a festival and online or do you have like a physical store no i don't have okay. a i don't have a physical store it's online mm -hmm. mostly and then um wherever i can do the pop-ups i really miss doing the pop-ups out in la it was it was a lot of fun and plus it's nice weather year-round so you can like be oh outside yeah, all consistently the time. Yeah, yeah so that was really grind. cool but yeah it, we do the online um the online shopping so i ship to almost every single state People, wow. people find it all through, you know, Instagram. Would a goal of yours be to have like a brick and mortar shop or do you know. feel like online is the way to go? I feel like if I were to ever own a space, the space I would want would be more community based, um, something where where people could be. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I would want like a store for my stuff, but it might be that if I have a place, the, the stuff would be there as well. Yeah. Let, well, let's talk more about that stuff. So mm -hmm. can you give us a rundown of I've seen the educated Latina yeah. shirts. What other apparels on your site? We have um, the shirts, obviously the sweaters. Mm -hmm. I partnered with a, a, my friend who is, she's Mexican and Pilsen and she does vinyl mm -hmm. and she makes a Latina AF shirt. That's the only shop, uh, only shirt in my shop I sell that is not my own design. Everything else is my own. Um, we just launched a product of CPS shirt and that one is again, it's like you kind of a graffiti font. I did that one myself and then um, that proceeds from that shirt go towards helping my classroom with funding mm. for different things like with field trips for the kids and, and all of that. We have hats, we have little like stickers and notepads. It sounds like you got you kind of have run the full gamut there. You Trying. got a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. What? So you mentioned a couple things. I want to get into uh, supplies for the classroom, mm -hmm. but I first want to go back to your website as a whole. When I took a look at your website, I saw that there was a tagline at the top that said education, representation, and empowerment. Mm -hmm. Why those three words? I, it really boiled down to that's what it was all about for me. I yeah. feel like education um, needs to be something that we talk about more and talking about what education looks like. It doesn't necessarily mean formal education. Mm -hmm. We got a lot of community knowledge. We have a lot of people around us who 
who can just you know give us an education and we need to we need to talk about that um representation is huge because i think when i when i was doing the features i saw that there wasn't representation and so i want latinas to be represented in a more positive light and so the people can see that we are that we are capable of a lot of things that we're not um you know, generally seen as capable of. And that's where the empowerment piece comes from, too. I want to empower people. I want to empower my students. I I did the features um, because I thought the more that I know, the more careers that I know, I can then tell my students how big to dream. When I was teaching third and fourth grade, one of my kids, his biggest dream was to be a garbage man. And I'm like, that's a great job. They have great mm-hmm. benefits. Like, you get paid very oh, yeah. well. That's awesome. But then, you know, the other kids, it would be, a uh, football player or basketball or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we just need to dream bigger. We need to dream dreams that we don't even know exist. And I want to be able to tell my kids about these things. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, speaking of dreams, I mean, running your own business is a dream a lot of people have. Being your own boss, there's a lot of power in that. Yeah. It's kind of cool to kind of call the shots. As a person of color, as a Latina business owner, can you speak a little bit to the experience of, so you've brought this dream to life. Mm-hmm. What's the reality as a, a POC Latina yeah. uh, business owner? Well, I have to be very conscious about the places that I do pop-ups yeah. um, because my my stuff is obviously very targeted mm-hmm. um so that that's been part of a like figuring out okay is this a latino focused event is it a latino area um i've done pop-ups in pilsen that are at a brewery and that they're, they're not really latino focused mm-hmm. so i'm like okay this is a little bit of kind of like i don't want to call it a waste of time but it's like i definitely sell more when i'm at other types of things mm-hmm. um navy pier is another really great example navy pier is a very mixed crowd but what was cool is the people who come in who are like on vacation they're like oh my god what is this right like they're just they're surprised to see it and and that makes me really happy to be able to give them that um there are times, though, too, where people will say things to me. People are not Latino, and they try to make jokes, or they'll say, um, you know, like I had some some white guys come up, and they were like, yeah, not for me, trying to be silly and, like, mm. nodding their head. And my mm-hmm. gut reaction, I was like, not everything is for you. Mm. And it was, like, a little spicy, I know. But okay, I, yeah, threw some adobo on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I just got kind of a little bit irritated, and I was like, all right, let me take a deep breath. I'm just okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's... That's been part of that. The other thing is I feel like I don't have um, as much knowledge about owning a business as I would as I would like. Mm-hmm. No one in my family has ever owned a business. None of, no one in my immediate circle um, has ever done any of this stuff. So it's it's constantly learning what to do, how to do it, who who to talk to, um, what's the right thing, what's the wrong thing. You know, that's that's been a learning curve for sure. I have a lot of Latina friends that have their own businesses, mm-hmm. and if if this is too much of a generalization stop me in my tracks but <laughs> a common thing that I hear from them and their experiences is particularly with men when men come in they want to give all types of advice to yes. you on how you can take your business to the next level and yeah. you should be doing this that and the other is that something that it you is, get a lot it's so annoying yeah. it's very true uh, men will constantly come up and and tell me why my business is important and I'm like I know mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started I wouldn't it. be doing I it. I did. Yeah, it. That's right. why I'm literally doing it. Yeah. Um, and then I also had a while where some men would be like, where's your educated Latino? And so I did make educated mm-hmm. Latino. Mm-hmm. And like no men were getting it. What? Yeah. I and so totally it was funny. I, I got you. Don't worry. Uh, I got for sure. I appreciate that. But they, it would make me <laughs> laugh because I was like, y'all kept bugging me and bugging me. And then I made it and no one got it. It's wow. like. So I've been very comfortable sticking to Latina only items. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So. Yeah. 
Wow. Okay. Well, thank you for affirming that because I was like, I don't know if this is like something that generally women experience. Right. Can I can never be in your shoes. Right. So, you know, as men, we need to we need to do a little bit better. Women can do stuff, if not exceed everything <laughs> that guys can do. So we Appreciate need to that. let that let that creativity breathe. So let's go back a little bit to your class your class supplies. Mm-hmm. On your website, you have a tab that links to your class wish list. Mm-hmm. So I clicked on it. There's a lot of supplies that you need. Yeah. Can you speak to why that something like that is needed, and why of all places to include that mm-hmm. you put it on your website? Um, man, why is it needed? It's crazy. We can get that's into a deep, that's a deep it's question. So deep, I know. Yeah. yeah. Education is just not funded well, like period, mm-hmm. point blank. That's yeah. it. Anything that I want in my classroom in general, I have to be the one to, to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get as teachers, a $250 reimbursement for spending, um, and on, on any supplies that we, that we want to get. Um, there's also like a tax break. That's another $250. Um, when you're first starting your classroom, you spend way over that, like yeah. m- mountains of money over that. So the 250 you get back is nice, but um, it doesn't really help. I've gotten a lot of books in my classroom, like donated to me, but it's been a lot of uh, like m- way more qu- quantity than quality. Mm-hmm. So they're not good books. They're they're uh, very. Um, a lot of the books are white characters. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are boys, so it's a little white boy always, always, always. Mm-hmm. And uh, stuff that's not high interest to my kids. So whenever I want to have stuff that, that is high interest to them, I have to go out and research it myself um, and almost always fundraise for it. I'm so blessed that last year I was able to get, like, I want to say I raised over $5,000 for my classroom last year. Oh, my gosh, in that's incredible. Ways. Yes. Wow. Um it started with getting the, all the class sets that I wanted for the books throughout the entire year. So I designed the curriculum that I wanted and I got class sets. And that itself was about a $2,000 uh, fundraise, fundraiser to do that. So that was $2,000. Like th- th- the two fifty dollars is nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, luckily I have a principal who's very supportive. And so he tries to give us materials whenever we ask for it. He's really good about funding and figuring it out. Um but he shouldn't have to to do that either. You know what right. I mean? It shouldn't it shouldn't be that we're all scraping by. Like there's other things that we can focus our attention on. Um, and then throughout the remainder of the year, I also fundraised for field trips. So we had a field cool. trip where the kids went to Springfield, and it was fifty dollars a kid. Um, and I was able to get that fully funded by sponsors and people just in my inner circle and you know on through Instagram sent sent money, and then every kid was able to go. We even had um, this organization, Dish Roulette, that I went to high school with one of the co-founders, and she was like, "We're gonna fund, um, we're gonna fund snacks for you guys." And she donated two hundred dollars, and um, I took my kids to Costco, and we were budgeting, and we found snacks, and it was it was really cool. Do you feel like most people you encounter understand the realities that our teachers, our school teachers, go through when it comes to supplies? Because it seems like you've interacted with a number of very generous people. Do you feel like people get that, or does it take a little bit of education on your part to say like, "No, these are real. These are realities." It depends. Okay. There's certain people that it'll be like, oh, I have a family member who's a teacher. I get it, you know, mm-hmm. so they, they know that. Um, I think people who interact with me, they know my passion. And so if I say to them, this kid is not able to do X, Y, Z, sometimes I don't even, I don't even have to ask. People just offer me money to, mm-hmm. to do stuff for the kids because I'm trustworthy to them, too. They know that it is going to go directly to my students. Yeah. Uh, you know, unfortunately, there are times where people just don't get it. But the people who I do interact with, 
then spread my message and take that out to other people, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, one of my best friends, Sylvia, was telling me about how she was at a party and it was during the teacher strike and someone was talking smack and she was like telling him all the things about my classroom. Mm -hmm. And because she knows me, knows the story, knows the kids, um, and has she's even gone on field trips with me. I, I constantly am recruiting people to come in. Yeah. And um, she was then able to do the work. Be, and I wasn't in that room. Mm -hmm. And then the, she said that it ended with the guy being like, I had no idea. You know, but in, unless she had said something, he wouldn't have known. But now he knows. And yeah. maybe he'll spread something even further after that. Who knows? So you mentioned going into education. You, you did that in your undergrad and grad? Mm -hmm. or, okay. Where'd you go for, where'd you go to undergrad? I started off at UIC. Cool. I was not crazy about how the education program was going for me. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't feel that I was guided very well. And plus, I'm from the city, so I wasn't like excited about being in the city. And I went to visit a friend at Northern, and I really, really liked it there. I looked up their education program, and it seemed decent. So I transferred. Um, it was good. I, and so I got my undergrad there. Had some issues with with um, we'll call it racism. Like yeah, mm -hmm. I had I had issues with racism with with some of the um, the way that the faculty wanted to run my student teaching. Mm -hmm. I had said I wanted to be in the city, and I paid this fee to be in the city. And they weren't. I guess they weren't used to kids who wanted to go into the city. And um, they tried to put me in countryside Illinois, and I was like, I'm not going to countryside Illinois. Oh I don't. My gosh, I don't know what's there. Geez. Like, I just. Why would I, I was like, why would I do that yes. when I have all these CPS so schools around me? Yeah. I was always very conscious about where I was going to take my knowledge, mm -hmm. um, and I always wanted to work in a CPS school. So um, I got placed in student teaching on the south side of Chicago. And it was crazy because the lady who I spoke to on the phone was like, you don't know where you're going to be in the city. You don't know how dangerous it is. You don't know this. I was like, I'm from the city. I live in the city. So I got sent to that school. I fell in love. I was so happy at that school. The kids were amazing. My supervisor was way more woke than anybody else in the program, and he loved the school. He tried to bring in people the following year to go to the school. Yeah. And these kids from Naperville, they, they literally were all three kids from Naperville, refused to go down to my school in Inglewood. They had their parents call um, Northern mm. and say, like, my kid's not going there. It's unsafe. They don't know if their car is going to get broken into, all this stuff. So I don't even know who those, who those kids are because I had already, um, mm -hmm. I believe I graduated at that point. But my administrator kept me in the loop about it, and I was. And some people at the school were okay with those kids making that that statement. You mm. know, it was it was really wild. I don't understand that mentality. It's like if you, I mean, something bad can happen anywhere. Right. I mean, I work at DePaul University, and we constantly will see announcements spread throughout campus. Yeah. Anything from you know stolen property to someone being assaulted, a number of different crimes. Yeah. Um, and Lincoln Park is the most affluent neighborhood in mm -hmm. our city. So to just the stereotypes we place yeah. in entire communities and the generalizations yeah. people generalizations, make, yeah, yeah. I, I don't get that. I'm just like, say that you don't want to work in the hood and move on. Like, right. that's what you're really trying to do. do you, mm -hmm. in, and who needs this education more than these kids in these areas? When you see right. an area has high crime, you know that that's high need. Mm -hmm. That's how I see it. And, and so part of our privilege is giving to those spaces. Right. So it was a very disappointing experience to see that. And I was glad I didn't know who those people were because I'm like, a, 
I don't know how I would have interacted with them. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, so, so you did your undergrad at UIC. Where did you say you ended up going after that? Northern, yeah. Northern, that's where okay. I graduated so from Northern. UIC, Northern, yes. and then after Northern, you went straight into CPS, or is this when you're? Yeah, so okay. I was student teaching at that school, okay. and then the the semesters were weird. So I student taught the first semester, and then we went okay. back to school Got it. Um, for the last semester. So then. Like my last week of school in May, the principal contacted me and told me that there was a position available for me. And um, I was able to go back to the school and, and work there. Dang. Yeah. So you went there, then you went to L.A.? Yes, okay. I left there. So my principal and my assistant principal had left my second year. So my okay. third year, I had new administrators in. Um, and they were great, but they were just a lot more, lot less of micromanagers. My first, my principal and assistant principal four were, were more micromanagers. And as a first year teacher, I needed that. Mm -hmm. I really, really um, needed that support. And so by the time it got to the third year, I was just so stressed with a lot of the stuff going on. It was a really, 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 really high needs area. Mm -hmm. um, I taught third grade. And third grade is a retention year in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So my class the last year ended up being the room with, with all the third graders who had failed, mm -hmm. plus the incoming third graders. And it was just really, really, really wild. There's a lot of, um, I don't I don't want to call it ego, but like these poor kids, like they, they that's a lot to tell a child that young, you failed. You literally right. marked them as a failure, mm -hmm. you know, and that's really traumatic for a lot of the kids. And I think that, they don't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to handle it. I'm not a therapist. I'm not, you know, yeah. able to, able to um, help guide them through that. So it was really stressful for me. It was I, really hard. It's, sometimes it feels like the structures we have in place are built with a certain demographic and oh, certain yeah. class in mind. Right. Yeah. So to think that everybody is operating in a level playing field, especially when it comes to our education system, right. it's just such a flawed way of looking at that structure. Yeah. Chicago is a perfect example of how we can speak truth to power. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about you being in CTU, the Chicago Teachers Union, because yeah. I think that is, talk about a model for other cities. I know things aren't perfect with our, our public school system, but we'll get to that in a little bit. I, mm -hmm. I want to talk about your still your journey uh, into education um, and really honing your craft. So when you are done with your undergrad, you're experiencing what teaching's like, mm -hmm. you're encountering racism, you're seeing the realities of the classroom. You decided to get your master's in education, mm -hmm. right? And you went to Harvard. Yes. yes, right? Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, so you decided to go to Harvard. Why? I mean, again, of all the fields to go into, mm -hmm. going off of what you experienced, why continue your education and, and get yeah. a master's degree? I in actually education? left education, to be really honest. When, okay. I, when I left the classroom, the thing was I looked at my students, I looked at the community, and I was like, there has to be something more. There has mm -hmm. to be something different, like... I was thinking about how um, in these these communities and even in my own family, the one who is the most stable is the woman, is the mother. And that is, it's almost always everything falls on that. And, you know, not to say anything bad about my dad, I love my dad, but like the, mm -hmm. the, the things that my mom does are very, very different. Um, and, and I saw that and I actually thought when I went to LA that maybe I would learn ways to um, incorporate health because I, I did yoga teacher training that year too, mm -hmm. and it completely changed my life. Like I, I joked that when I when I left, I broke up with my boyfriend, I broke up with my job, I broke up with Chicago, all of it, and just like redid myself and went out to LA. And I was like, I just want to learn more about health and healing. Um, and I actually had in my room in LA on the wall post-its of every single job that I had ever considered in my life, anything. Awesome. Um, even for a moment, if I was like, oh, I like taking pictures, maybe I'll be a photographer, maybe I'll do this. And it was always with the mission of 
giving people like platform or helping people. It was always with that. So I was like, how can I, how can I merge all those things together? Um, and I was actually a nanny when I was in LA. That's what I, I'm, nannies make more money than teachers. It's ridiculous. Wow. Um, and so I, I worked with a family and I would do things with the kids, like a lot of the reading activities. I brought them books. The dad wanted um, them to have more educational stuff at home. So I went to um, Lakeshore Learning, which we have one here in mm-hmm. Chicago. And I want to say I was with him. I was with him for like six months at that time. And when I stepped into that lakeshore, I was lost. I was like mm. so happy. And I was like, this, it's education. Like, this is what it is. It's always going to be education. I'm always going to be an educator. So I actually went to um, Cal State LA first for grad school. I started out there. And when I sat down to do an interview with the head of the reading department program, it was like I had been speaking a different language my whole time in LA. And I finally got to speak my native tongue. Like, that's mm. how it felt. We spoke about books. We spoke about reading. We spoke about just like all these these really amazing things that made my heart happy. And I was like, "This is it. This is what I. This is what I do. It's education." I had always considered being a reading specialist, um, but I never followed through with it. And then it just made sense. So I did the program out there, and I just wasn't crazy about it. Mm. I felt like I was with um, a lot of teachers who were trying to um, make like. They, they wanted to get more credits to make more money, and they wanted they wanted the knowledge too, but they didn't have that same level of passion, right? It was more like, I'm doing this after school, um, after I'm teaching, I'm exhausted, I have this going on, that, that, that. And I wanted to be immersed into something, mm-hmm. and that is when I found the program at Harvard. I didn't even realize it was at Harvard. I was just looking up my program, yeah. and then I saw that it was like a year intensive, you live on campus, you have to take this many credits, and then I was like, oh my God. Harvard. So I remember saying to my mom, like, I'm going to apply to Harvard. And she's like, whatever, Sabrina. She like walked away. No. <laughs> she's like, no. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Did she not? Was she just like, oh, that's a pipe dream. Good yeah, luck. Yeah, probably. She's just yeah. like, you're crazy. Like, because yeah. she's like, you're never, you're never satisfied. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I'm never, like, if, if I know something is not good enough for me, I quit. Mm-hmm. And I move on to something better. And that was what I had to do at Cal State LA. I was like, this isn't, this isn't what I need. Yeah. Um, so I quit. And then I, like, I didn't even tell anybody. My mom and maybe one friend mm-hmm. were the people that knew I applied to Harvard. Mm-hmm. So then when I did get in, there was so much, like, I, people were talking, and it was like, did she really get into the actual Harvard? Mm-hmm. People would ask me, is it an online program? You know, little, like, digs uh, okay. like that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. One of my, somebody I, I knew in L.A. was like, oh, yeah, I had a friend who went there and got like a certificate program. I was like, well, this isn't a certificate. I'm getting my master's from Harvard. Right. You know, I had to constantly say that. Mm-hmm. Even when I was there, I was like, you guys, you see, I'm on the campus. Like, I, you know, mm-hmm. so it, that was that was annoying. But man, that program at Harvard, it was, the, the experience was everything that I needed. Yeah. It really, really was. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based, grassroots, educational, health, and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, 
give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you. Speak a little bit about that your experience as a person of color in the Ivy League. I don't know a lot of Boricuas that went to an Ivy League school. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know many Boricuas that went to Harvard. Yeah. So while I have you here, I mean, what what was that? Yeah. What was that like? Because Harvard, I mean, it's my understanding that they have a legacy system. Mm-hmm. So if you have a grandparent or father, mother that went there. Yeah you automatically get preferential treatment right. to get accepted. Yeah. So if the demographic leans heavily white, yeah. the, even with things like affirmative action, mm-hmm. there's not, I yeah. mean, our applications aren't exactly looked at with the right. same weight as someone that's a legacy totally. applicant. The one way to think about it too is um, Harvard, so they like to, how do they say it? It's like different boats or something, I don't know. Yeah. So there's the college, right? Yeah. And the college is the one that really has the problem with the legacy votes okay. or the legacy um, admissions. And then there's each graduate school. So there's mm. the law school, the education school, um, mm-hmm. the Kennedy School for politics, med school, whatever, whatever, all those yeah. different ones. So my pool of people was only people who are applying to education, okay. to this specific program. Um, and the ed school, I believe, had about... I could be wrong, but I believe it was like 700 master's students. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's not big. It's not, right. it's just not a lot. And then a few doctorates, um, doctoral students. And so even so, even with that that knowledge, you know, I was scared. I was really nervous. I was like, the, the program said that it was going to focus on diversity. And that was one of the things that attracted me to it. I actually felt at Cal State LA, I wasn't getting knowledge about diversity the way I I wanted to. Mm -hmm. We actually had a teacher who said something like, if kids are from certain neighborhoods, they can't learn. And I was like, can't, can't, like, Mm -hmm. I, I was, I was really upset. And that was actually the day that I started researching other schools. And so when I saw the info about Harvard, I, I was like, okay, this is, this is like, they're aiming for diversity. They're trying to be more diverse. Um, which is good. The leader, the supervisor for my program specifically was a black woman, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, getting better and better, right? And even so, when you walk in there, you're first, you're very nervous. What they did that was amazing is they had a people of color orientation before they had the general orientation. Mm-hmm. And then I also went up to the school for an admitted day and they had a student of color, um, like a dinner type mm-hmm. thing. So they were constantly giving us spaces to get together and that, and that honestly was like the best, almost like a shield from having to deal with a lot of the other issues because yeah. we did have them. And like I designed my Angry Brown Girl sticker while I was out there because mm-hmm. um, I had I had was irritated in certain classes and it was like you know, something you know different things would happen like that. But I had friends that I could turn to who got it, who who understood because they all had the same apprehension before coming in. Mm-hmm. You know, so luckily they put us into a space where we could we could talk to each other, we could hang out. 
And cool. I want to say 99% of my friends from Harvard are all POC. That's awesome. Yeah. Were there any like Latinx student orgs yeah. active at that? Okay. I was on the, the head of the, um, it was Comunidad Latinx. And I was on the leadership board for that. Any club I was in, I was on leadership. I'm so nosy. I'm like, I want to be at all the meetings. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I want to be, I want to be, know everything happening. Right. Um, so yeah, there was that. But to your point about, you know, Boricuas, most of the mm-hmm. Latinos who were there were Mexican. Yeah. Um, and so we were on the head of that, that board and there was maybe six or seven of us, and mm-hmm. they were all amazing, but two of us weren't Mexican. Well, I'm an eighth Mexican, mm-hmm. but I was not raised Mexican. Mm-hmm. So two of us were not Mexican dominant type stuff, you know? Um, and so we constantly had to kind of say like, that's not a Latino thing, that's a Mexican thing, you know? Uh, okay, so it was like if they, yeah, so did you ever run into this situation in higher ed where it's like, okay, we wanna have a Latinx themed party, let's throw a sarape on yeah. it. Yeah, and, and everything was and, like that, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the truth was they, so when we did Dia de los Muertos, like mm-hmm. it was great. Um, they they did the Dia de los Muertos and, and they had the skull painting and all that stuff. And it was beautiful and I participated and I put a picture of my grandmother, my great grandmother who is Mexican, I put a picture of her on the altar and all of that, it was cool. Um, but then when it was like, I wanted to do a paranda, I didn't have the same type of support and I also didn't have the same type of knowledge mm-hmm. because no one else had done a paranda, mm-hmm. right? So then everything like fell on me whereas opposed to they were able to share the load yeah. a little bit more. Um, and it's not to say they didn't support me, they would have they would sure. support it all, but they just didn't know things yeah. that were Puerto Rican stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So were you a were you a first generation second generation college student? I'm technically first, but both my parents have associates, so okay. they still consider me first gen. And my parents okay. got my associate the associates when I was older too. Okay, yeah, a lot of first gen students that I talk to nowadays express a little bit of like frustration with um, their families, their parents' understanding of what are the demands yeah. of college. Um, did you ever face that at all? I mean, if your parents got associate's degrees, they have a sense of what yeah, higher ed is. Did, a little did, bit. Did they ever give you a little, my, was it ever frustrating yeah, trying my, to get them to understand what you were So when I do, doing? when I did worse, the worst I did at school was when I was living with my parents because okay. my family is very, very close. And mm-hmm. so they're demanding of my time. And it's, yeah. and it's, um, it's a beautiful thing. I love my family, but it would be like, let's go to the movies. And I'm like, but I have to study, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so that was really difficult. I always did better when I was away from them because I was able to, to do the things that I needed to do and buttoned down. Um, my dad, most specifically, my mom was a manager at a clinic, so I think she gets like workload in a different sort of way. Mm-hmm. My dad was all about like, let's go for a bike ride, let's do this, let's do that. So we would always wanna be hanging out or you know, um, having me run errands or different things like that. Mm-hmm. So he didn't he didn't really comprehend the level of it. Or, and, and also the fact that I'm constantly involved in clubs, that's added mm-hmm. to the workload. And he just didn't see, he's like, why, I don't know why you do all those things, you know? Yeah. To him, he just went to, when he went to school, he was like, I'm, I'm getting the things I need to get done so that I can get this job because I know that the job is available. Right. That that was why he did it. He's a respiratory therapist and um, he's like not super passionate about it, you know? Mm-hmm. He's a hard worker. Yeah. He's always been a hard worker, but he didn't follow his passion when it came to that. So for me, mm-hmm. when I'm doing these things that I'm passionate about, not only do I have to spend the time on it, but I want to, right. you know? So that's that was a, a 
disconnect for sure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, some students I'll talk to, their parents expect them to hold a full-time job yeah. while going to school full-time yeah. and can't understand why they can't schedule and organize properly. Yeah. What is, what is it like explaining that to them? I know you said it was hard for them to understand. Did you ever sit down with them and like go through no, like, I this is left. my schedule? Oh yeah, it's like <laughs> Every deuces, time I left, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I'll say it and, and um, even when I'm, you know, talking to my dad on the phone, mm-hmm. I'll be like, I can't really talk right now. I'm busy. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're always so busy. You know, he'll mm-hmm. say things like that. Um, so I've had to have conversations with him about it, but honestly, the best thing for me was going away. And so for some students, I do recommend that because I know how hard it can be. Mm -hmm. Um, and what was cool is at Harvard, it was the first time during our student of color orientation, it was the first time that someone acknowledged that and no one had ever acknowledged it when I went to, I mean, I had been to like seven schools at this point and no one ever talked about this disconnect with your family or even understanding that like that there is a pressure to be successful mm-hmm. because your family is, you come from people who are were doing survival and now you're trying to thrive, you're trying to have passion, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to have that conversation is is um, really, it makes you feel validated when I have that conversation with other people, like, yeah, I feel that too, mm-hmm. you know. Looking at the generation that came before us, mm-hmm. I, I so maybe this is, again, maybe this is a generalization, but it seems like what I hear from the generation before us, generation before them, so Gen Xers, baby boomers, it's like, yeah, you know, you you go in, go to your class, get your homework done, mm-hmm. done. But now the expectations for people in higher ed as they transition from their academic career to their professional career, there's so much more that goes into that transition. Yeah. I feel like our parents, grandparents could have gotten a job, worked yeah. their way up got promoted, things were more affordable then, but now we have we have to be involved in clubs and we have to network and yeah. we have to know how to prepare a resume and we gotta know how to interview and mm-hmm. we gotta get this, that, and that other experience under our belt in order to be an attractive talent yeah. to, to organizations. So it's, it's, true. it's more of a struggle now. Yeah, we can't, we can't be regular. Like we yeah. can't be, you can't be normal anymore. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's what it is. If you, I think about this with my students. I teach seventh grade, and seventh grade is the year that um, they, CPS looks at your grades mm-hmm. for high school. If you have a high school that's a local high school that's not a high-performing high school, you are basically in a lane to be in that low-performing school. Yeah. And that sucks. And the only way to get out of that is to um, get into a better high school. And so I got into lane. I went to lane tech, and I feel blessed that I went to lane tech because my mom was like, you are not going to Steinman's. That was going to be my funnel, Steinman's. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think about my students who their, their funnel is or, mm-hmm. which it doesn't mean you can't be successful at or it's just that much harder. It is harder to be successful at or than it is to be successful at Lane or Whitney Young or any of that. Mm-hmm. And now I'm telling this 12 year old, like you have to be so excellent to be able to do that. Like you just, it, the fact that you exist on this planet doesn't mean that you deserve a good education. Like I, right. I, I believe that you do. So when I have, especially boys, it's always with the boys that are being adolescents, they're being kids, mm-hmm. they they are not given that grace because of the system that is set before them. So they have to not only get good grades, but they should be involved in other activities. They have to be doing plays, they have to be doing this and that. And if you don't, then you're just norm, a normal kid, mm-hmm. which should be fine, but it's not. Yeah, It's not anymore. Well, it speaks to the importance of really having a very intentional way of schooling. I and mean, mm-hmm. we're dealing with people going to high school, college that 
aren't operating at the same institutional knowledge, the yeah. same level of transfer of wealth as right. some other people that exist in our in our country today, which is why it's like really, really cool to see people like yourself trailblazing, seeing like since we're talking about Harvard a little bit, <laughs> uh, that Harvard-Yale football game protest. Yeah. I don't know if you were keeping up with that at all, but yeah. um, any thoughts on that? Yeah. I well, know that's not why we're the no, point no, of the, the show the today, first, but The first thing that? That, that irritated me with all that coverage yeah. is that no one was covering it and saying how the, the kids were um, mm-hmm. protesting for the, to divest from the groups um, that held money from Puerto Rico, like the debt. Yeah. It was always about how it was about uh, environmental things. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what we're talking about. This is this is literally changing the narrative in a in a really, really negative way. You're not highlighting what's going on with these kids. You're not telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And then you're like just basically pretending like that wasn't the reason. You know, you're just right. co- you're covering it in a bogus way. That was so frustrating. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't understand that at all. It's like there there's two there's two uh, strong reasons for why they're taking over the field during yeah. halftime. And yeah, the mention of Puerto Rico was non-existent. I'm like, y'all don't see the flags. Like, yeah. they're around. <laughs> like, right, yeah. I don't understand. What, yeah, so that was frustrating for sure. On episode 15 of the Paseo podcast, <laughs> we actually interviewed Boricua students from Yale. Oh, yeah. Um, so we we were taking a deep dive into what divestment, mm-hmm. what that means, and why it's important to address that issue. And just Yale alone, we were discussing, holds close to a billion dollars yeah. in Puerto Rico's debt. I don't know the number for my friend. I have a yeah. friend, Jocelyn, who very closely follows it. Um, mm-hmm. She knows the exact numbers and has written so many pieces on yeah. how much Harvard owns. She led protests over there, too, mm-hmm. while we were there. But again, manpower. Yeah. There was not a lot of people that would show up to these protests. Mm-hmm. I mean, Harvard is, is – it's horrible. It is horrible how much it's it's – involved in all of that wall street's a whole another right that's a whole another episode <laughs> um so let's let's take it to today so your day-to-day you talked a little bit about your day-to-day as a cps teacher mm-hmm. you are part of in my humble opinion one of the greatest teachers unions <laughs> in the country ctu um some awesome leaders too big fan uh, uh stacy davis gates oh yes uh she's amazing she made me um, so proud during all of this oh, oh my gosh yeah cool. talk about a rock star yeah um yeah i could listen to her talk for hours mm-hmm. too and your president's very good too yeah what's it like being a part of the chicago teachers union y'all had a pretty yeah. big year well my so yeah. oddly enough my first year of teaching was the 2012 strike okay with so, mayor Rahm Emanuel. yes mm-hmm. so i was in the classroom mm-hmm. for a month and yeah. then it was like time to strike and at the time i was part of the union then and mm-hmm. i just didn't i didn't get it as much i didn't know Sure. What what was going on? Also, it was very funny that uh, Karen Lewis was a former teacher at Lane, mm-hmm. and um, so it'd be like, oh, it's just Care Bear, you know, she's out there doing <laughs> her thing. Like that's how people would talk about. It. Um, but but the more I started to, as I was in the classroom more, mm-hmm. I started to really appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I wanted more money. I want more money. I I work right. very hard. I am worth a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The knowledge that I bring and my coworkers bring, it is worth so much more money. So I got no problem saying that I deserve more money. Um, but obviously I didn't get into education for that, right? Mm-hmm. I got into education for the kids. And so what was what was powerful was that this strike was different in that it was all about making a statement. Mm-hmm. I felt like we made more of a statement, a social justice statement this time around than mm-hmm. we did previously. And that made me very proud. I think the mo- the momentum we gain in education is always going to be very small because mm-hmm. the people who control things either don't get it or don't want to get it uh, mm-hmm. on a true deep level when it comes to our children. Um, but the strike gave me personally a platform to 
to say things that I've already always felt, but mm -hmm. people were listening. Mm -hmm. So I had those, I put up a picture of my principal got mad at me about this, but I put up a picture of my broken chairs in my classroom. Mm -hmm. um, those chairs had been broken from the year before. And the principal had told me like, he was like, I'll get you new chairs. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I shouldn't have never walked into a building with broken chairs. Yeah. It shouldn't be that my principal has to say, do we get chairs or do we get books? Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be like that, you mm -hmm. know? And the only reason I got new chairs is because he was able to figure all that out and finagle it, you know? Yeah. Um, we have one working water fountain in my building and it has a pan underneath it that, that drips. Mm -hmm. It's not that they don't want to fix it. It's not that they want our kids not drinking good water. But th it's like they have to make these these different um, choices about it. And so we, this the strike gave us the platform to say that. Mm -hmm. You know, it gave us the platform to say it is really, really jacked up that our kids literally can only get sick on one day of the week when mm -hmm. the nurse is there. Yeah. And to be really honest, that nurse is not there for the kids. The nurse is there for an IEP meeting. Mm -hmm. That's what they're there for. They're in an wow. office the entire time. So it's just wild. It's interesting you brought up that example in particular, because as I was talking to some of my friends in Chicago, you know, it's like, could you imagine having your kid in CPS and having to tell them, like, listen, if you're going to get sick, avoid, <laughs> avoid Thursday, yeah. you know, avoid Wednesday through Friday, like yeah. get sick on a Tuesday, please. That no one should have to exist like that. No. I mean, and then I believe it was one one nurse one social worker mm -hmm. in every school. Yeah. Right? That's what we're aiming for. And and that what how, what was the result of uh the contract negotiations? So it's, was... it's it will be one nurse, one social okay. worker. Yeah, okay. but it's going to be slowly phased in. Okay. Um and then it's like a social worker for a certain number of students. And then if you okay. have over that, then you'll get another one. Okay. Um and to be honest, we need way more than than even that. You mm -hmm. know, my school has about 700 and maybe 800 kids a, a good year. Mm -hmm. um, and again, our principal is really great about grants and funding. Mm -hmm. So he got a grant through Blocks Together and that brought us this um, person who's like basically sort of some type of SEL coordinator. Mm -hmm. And he does a lot of emotional things with the kids. So he's kind of like a counselor, he's a licensed therapist. Wow. And then we have two counselors, um, the social, and I believe we have one social worker. And one of the counselors, is there on a grant as well. And so this is him being able to like do all these this maneuvering to get people in the building. Mm -hmm. And the people who are there are amazing. But we need more. Our kid, I, we have kids who need weekly therapy. I'm, I'm certain of it. Yeah. They just don't have access to it, you know? I had so many frustrating moments during uh, your union strike. Not any issue I had with CTU, because I was like fist emoji, fist emoji, fist emoji, <laughs> like super like... Uh, supportive of y'all, but there was a lot of uh, chatter I'd see online. Now, I know a majority of the city, mm -hmm. a majority of the teachers union was down for the strike, a majority right. of Chicago was supportive of the strike, but there was that, that percentage in the minority that felt very strongly about y'all not, not striking. Yeah. Um, and a common thing I would hear a lot, and I'm sure you've heard this too, uh, is um, you know, y'all get off, teachers get uh, the summers off. Mm -hmm. Why can't you strike in the summer? Or I get, uh, I don't get summers off. Teachers yeah. get summers off. Why should they get paid more? Like, bro, that's not a strike. The whole point is a work stoppage. Yes. <laughs> that was frustrating. I also, so the, one of the most difficult things about, um, when it comes to like what people, the misconceptions about my finances, mm -hmm. it, that's something that bothers me. People think that teachers get paid all summer. Mm -hmm. My first year we had deferred pay. So all that meant is they would take money out of our paycheck 
put it to the side and then give it to us year round. So we got the same paycheck every single time. We don't have that anymore. Mm -hmm. That was one of the results of the strike was that they took that away. Um, so in the summer, unless I am able to really, really, really budget well, I'm working because yeah. I have bills to pay. So I'm doing some type of job. For me, it's almost always nannying, like, cause mm -hmm. that's just what I, what I do. Um, and I work during the school year too, you know? So like I, I personally have almost like four jobs. It's crazy. I teach obviously during the day and that's my, my main bread and butter, but it mm -hmm. is my passion. Um, I teach yoga as well. Mm -hmm. And so I get paid for the class and I get free yoga um, as part of that. So that was like the, the trade-off yeah. for that. Um, with my shop, whenever I do a pop-up, I pay myself like I pay my intern. Mm. My mom was like, you need to start paying yourself because I was doing it for free for a long sure. time. Yeah. She's like, you have to start paying yourself. So I do that. And then I babysit whenever I can. Mm. So at any given week, I am doing one thing from every part and mm -hmm. trying trying to, to make that money. So it would get very frustrating. People people would say like that I would get paid and then I have the summers off. And I'm like, I'm not a finance, like I'm not a financial person. Yeah. So for me to budget uneven paychecks, for me to try and figure out all that with, I mean, I went to Harvard, I have crazy student loans. Mm -hmm. I have insane student loans. And so I'm trying to figure all of that out all the time. And it would really, really upset me when I would see that too. But I try not to take it personal. But. Well, and even after the, the strike, wasn't all the time that was taken off during the work stoppage yeah. not reimbursed? Wasn't it only half? Only half. And so and then those days were sprinkled in like, yeah. on some of the hardest dates on the calendar. I like, had to, what, like, I had to miss New Year's one too. Yeah. And stuff like that. Yeah. It was, they gave us five days back because we were out for 11 days. Okay. Um. So less than half back. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, I wanted to work. I wanted to be in the classroom. Yeah. And the year has not felt normal because of the strike. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I the other day I was joking my coworker. I'm like, I taught today. Mm -hmm. I go, it was really cool. I actually taught. I was mm -hmm. a teacher. And like, I finally feel like I'm getting back in the groove. And and because every unit has been interrupted. Mm -hmm. My units are based kind of around the calendar. Because yeah. I try to do thematic units for my students um, and talk about social issues. And I was like, we ain't doing the Holocaust during D-Day and Holocaust Remembrance Day. Like, it just, just can't happen anymore. Yeah. Like, it's all over it's the place. so much time in a the period, period, class yeah. period. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's been really, really difficult. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, one of the days they gave us back was like uh, the day before Thanksgiving. <laughs> Um, before break and I had already planned travel with my family so then I had to use a personal business day so we get three personal mm -hmm. business days a year mm -hmm. two of them I used for the fest last year so that leaves mm -hmm. me with one to just have like a day um, and now I've used it you know so I'm like this is, it just gets frustrating like I the, it's it's all over the place it's interesting that you talk about your experiences and the multiple jobs you're juggling you know Sabrina you're here with a master's in education <laughs> yeah. from Harvard University mm -hmm and have to work full four jobs in order to just be stable. Yeah. Um, and I'm a firm believer that no one should be working a full-time, should have a full-time job, mm -hmm. work a full-time schedule, and still have to make, struggle to make ends meet. Yeah. And we don't, we, like going back to that chatter I'd see on my Facebook feed, you know, I'm seeing people complain about teachers and what they make and asking for more money, but no one complains about lawyers, yeah. doctors. I heard I you mean, make 90000 to put the sand on the beach. I was like, what am I doing? Yeah, I'm in the wrong I mean, <laughs> hey, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. there's there there are professions out there that we, are, we never question what mm -hmm. that annual salary is. But sometimes, for some reason, when it comes to the teachers and putting it in writing yeah. and allocating money in the budget for what is really a social justice issue, all of a sudden all the calculations 
calculators come yeah. out. Oh, how are we going to pay for this? Yeah. But no one wants to, no one brings out the calculators when it comes to TIF dollars no. and Lincoln Yards. And like, oh, we're, yeah. that's, that's TIF dollars are the property taxes that we pay into that's mm-hmm. supposed to help parts of our city, like our schools, right. like our underserved communities. And they're going to very affluent neighborhoods mm-hmm. in our city. And that only serves to gentrify people out. Yeah. And when it comes to like, the the finance thing too. I I like to make it very clear. I'm not going hungry. That's mm-hmm. not that's not the right. issue. I can pay my bills. Um, mm-hmm. I can live a, a decent lifestyle. But I should also. I I have a master's. Mm-hmm. I have an, a good education. I have lots of experience. I should be able to go to brunch yeah. once in a while. Mm-hmm. I should be able to to go shopping and buy things. Right. I'm at the age where a lot of my friends are getting married and um, mm-hmm. having kids, and so it's like travel for bachelorette parties, for weddings, for this, for that. I should be able to afford those things, and I shouldn't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. I don't like that it limits me into. You know, I I should not have to live a meager lifestyle as a teacher. I did not sign up for the nunnery. That's Mm. what what it's, Mm. you know, it's about for me. Just the master's degree alone should allow you to have an income that you can go on vacation, catch a Bulls game. I I, I hear you. I hear you. And there's some teachers out there with, like, PhDs and and multiple master's degrees, and it's like... Yeah. We're actually pretty fortunate in Chicago. I think we are, like, the second highest paid. Mm -hmm. I think D.C. might be number one. Okay. Um, But in places like Oklahoma, the people can't, cannot pay right. their bills so it's very different we're fortunate here and in i some still don't states, think we're paid enough wow, amen, you know? amen. well in some states it's illegal like the state legislatures have made it illegal for teachers to strike yeah. what would you say to somebody like me who's not in ctu but very supportive mm-hmm. of what y'all did in 2019 with the work stoppage what would you say to somebody that wants to articulate why that strike was important mm-hmm. and why future strikes may be important to someone that's like y'all get the summer off yeah and y'all make enough and i think you know, honestly like what, what I said yeah. that my friend had done where it's just highlighting those things. I, I did not go on strike because of my water fountain, but people mm-hmm. started listening to me about my water fountain, mm-hmm. you know, when that happened. And so the strike was, was important to say these are the issues that are going on. And now you're going to pay attention to us. And now you you know. So they should know that we don't have full staff. We don't. Mm-hmm. A lot of schools are, um, are understaffed with special ed teachers. Mm-hmm. So that means kids are not getting their minutes that they need for special education, which is designated wow. by federal law. Um, that's that's real. You know, these are these are real issues. I also like to invite people constantly to to visit a school. I think every person who's a politician that has to do with education policy should spend time in a classroom. I firmly believe that. Um, one of my favorite Chicago authors, Eve Ewing, she, um, is, she was a teacher before. She graduated from Harvard, so I, I love her. <laughs> but she um, talks about how even though she now teaches at the University of Chicago, she's in that program, she spends time in the classroom. Mm always constantly she's constantly in there so she's got an ear to the ground to know what's happening Mm -hmm. and people should do that and don't make assumptions when you don't when you really don't know what's going on ask questions you know and the numbers are out there i mean i I remember listening to a podcast with troy laravier on Mm -hmm. and he was talking about and again i I have to fact check this but it was something along the lines of our chicago public schools we're like top in the state in our spending Mm -hmm. but we're ranked one of the lowest in terms of staffing per school yeah i think it's like like 20 plus on average under staffed per school which is like insane but i think if people just educated themselves a bit more i know it's ironic to say that but it's like yeah if y'all educate yourself a bit more you know know what you're talking about i guess what i'm trying to say before you say and asking questions and yeah 
I'm um, big on asking questions. Yeah. I never I never get upset when people ask in a legit way and yeah. then you know what's going on. As Not opposed like to in a say, gotcha yeah, because yeah, I'll have people like, yeah. but don't you get summer off? Right. N- n- yeah, right. but no. And also, that's when I'm supposed to be working on my curriculum. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when I'm supposed right. to be fine tuning that. Right. So now. And there's jobs out there that get the winter off. They get, yeah. So, there's plenty get, of people who get off. lots of times right. off. What work do you think still needs to be done in our Chicago public schools? Everything, my God. Yeah. Um, I think. I think it does come down. It does come down to funding. Mm-hmm. Our schools need to have um, a little bit more equity mm-hmm. in in the way that certain schools are funded. Um, my kids and I do because seventh grade is a, is the year that their grades count for high school. We do a uh, project where I have them research the high schools and I have them research the selective enrollment system mm-hmm. that we have now. Um, because it's a tier system. So I don't okay. know if you're familiar with that. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, maybe for people listening, okay. maybe just give a breakdown. So basically the city of Chicago, they break it up into four tiers. The most affluent areas are considered tier four. The lowest income areas are considered tier one. Mm-hmm. And so for, this is just for selective enrollment schools. Um, but to get into a selective enrollment school, your points that you have to get are different based on your tier. So it's higher for tier four and it's lower for tier one. Um, it's being some sort of like zip code based affirmative action, right? Yeah. But my students and I have this conversation because um, they 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 always want to why like mm-hmm. why do they lower the standard for us? Do they not think that we're smart? You know, like that's really yeah. how they internalize it. Um, and I would say to them, it's not that you're not smart. You have to remember that the the language that these tests are written in. I, when I teach my kids how to t- test, mm-hmm. I teach them we're learning another language. Mm-hmm. We're breaking it down. Right. We literally pick the question. I have I have to teach that as a skill, mm-hmm. because it's not a language that they're familiar with. I wasn't familiar with it, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I, the tests are written in a different way. And then when it comes down to funding, I say, who do you think is going to be more successful, the school or d- seen as successful, the school with one laptop cart that you have to switch around, or the school that has ten laptop carts? And everyone is one-to-one with an iPad. Who has more access to information, right? Mm-hmm. The keyboards on all of your laptops are are plucked out. I have a laptop that literally opens like this, and it has to be, like, propped up. And mm-hmm. if technology is the key to the world and access and, and teaching these kids these things, literally learning time is being lost when you can't log onto the Google Classroom. You know, like, it's it's... It's all of that. So the funding needs to be there. I think the tier system, I get what it's supposed to be doing, but I think it's a Band-Aid. And then also the people who are in tier four neighborhoods, it gives them a lot of resentment towards low-income people because they think, like, look at how low the standard is for them. Mm-hmm. And that's not cool either. You know, I don't want – I don't. the wealthy people in Chicago need to be allies to our lower and, – and, and to be honest, Chicago is a working town. I learned this when I moved to L.A. that, like – we are more close to a line like that than I mm-hmm. thought, um, but they they do end up feeling resentment, and I understand why. Yeah. You know, it pegs us against each other, and yeah. so it just needs to come down to better funding and giving our kids the opportunities to have an equal playing field. Right. It's my understanding with our property tax system too, where we, if you are living in a place like Lincoln Park and you're paying property taxes, well, the school public schools in Lincoln Park are yeah. going to get Lincoln Park money. Right. But if you're in uh, Humble Park or let's say East Garfield Park and you're paying property taxes there, right. the schools are going to get East Garfield Park money. Right. Right. So yeah. that's a weird. I don't understand why we have that system yeah. um, to fund our schools. That just you're it's just, just setting up schools like for 
struggle. Yeah, it's always been like that. And my kids and I do actually research that too and we talk about it. Um, So we talk about home value Mm -hmm. and who's going to be able to bring in more money and who's going to, we always put it back to this laptop cart. Like it's, Mm. it's, it's a good it's way a good to contextualize visual. it, yeah. Right, yeah. And so they'll be like, "Well, you can get this many laptop cards with the, with one house, and this neighborhood, you need ten houses to get one laptop card." Mm-hmm. So they they start to comprehend that and and understand the difference because I think that's a big issue too. Is like we don't tell our kids these things, and then they just they see the they see the hood as regular and they mm-hmm. think that it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I really really love uh, Jamal Cole, the My Block My City. Oh, my hood. Yes, yes. He has a campaign in a book that he wrote that's mm-hmm. called It's Not Regular. And he talks about the currency exchange, all the liquor stores that we see, all of that. Mm-hmm. And that is a food huge deserts. premise of my teaching. Yeah, the food yeah, deserts. Yeah. Um, I've been teaching like that with especially with seventh graders. Like it is not okay that your that your funnel for high school is this school that is low performing. It's not okay. Mm-hmm. It is not okay that you all can I was like having them raise their hand. Tell me if you could think of a liquor store. Two, three, four, and all my kids can raise their hand. They know them. Mm. They know exactly where the liquor stores are, you know. And wow. it's not, it's not normal. It's not okay. Yeah. And I want to point that out to them and make sure they know that. I know. Going, gr- growing up in Humble Park, I could tell you where the liquor stores were and the currency. I mean, now it's a gentrifying neighborhood, so oh, lo and behold, a lot of that stuff is right. hard to find nowadays. So yeah. it's, it's interesting how that kind of concentrates in, in certain neighborhoods. And that's the argument I yeah. constantly get into with people. I actually re-released the Angry Brown Girl sticker after a conversation with someone who nice. wanted to move to Humble Park, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how the neighborhood it's better when it gets gentrified. And I was like, sure, there's things that pop up that are that are nice, but it's for who? Mm-hmm. Who is who is the person that is is invited to that space? Mm-hmm. You know, when I go to Park and Field, I like the place Park and Field, mm-hmm. but I know Park and Field was not created for me. It was not created for the dudes next mm-hmm. door in the Latin American Motorcycle Club. I know right. that. You know, the more the most Latinos you see at Park and Field are the ones working there, mm-hmm. and like that's great, that's cool, but. Right. You know, it, it was not created for us. Right. You mentioned Chicago being a working class town, mm-hmm. definitely a birthplace for unions. Yeah. Haymarket riots were here. A yeah. union representation is so important. That's like, that's lawyers, that's mm-hmm. health benefits, that's people um, advocating for you for fair fair wage, for fair work. I feel like I, I don't get on a soapbox here when it comes to union <laughs> representation, but if you had to whittle down why union representation is so important being a member of CTU, what would you say your top three reasons are for the importance of a worker mm-hmm. to be part of a union? You know, I never really thought about it a lot. Yeah. I think for teaching specifically, I mm-hmm. feel like our jobs can be a little bit volatile and and. Mm-hmm. and um, like your first year of teaching, they can drop you for nothing. There's, yeah. there's no, um, they don't have to have a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Could just be because they don't like you. Um, I teach very revolutionary type of stuff, mm-hmm. stuff that um, I would not be able to teach at a lot of different schools. I'm lucky that my principal has the same mindset as me, and so he supports the stuff that I teach. Mm-hmm. He okayed my curriculum for the jump, but if I was at a different school. I could probably get fired over some of the stuff that I teach or at least be battling with someone about it. And um, a union would protect me in that mm-hmm. in that sense. I think also the other thing is unions are, what I've noticed, especially this year, is, is the union leader for me is a knowledge base of my rights that I, mm-hmm. that I don't necessarily understand. Mm-hmm. So if I um, am having an issue trying to figure out like a sick day or something or my pay, I go to the union rep. Mm-hmm. And she gives me that information. And that's really, really useful. And, and um, you know, you don't always have that. 
when mm-hmm. I did other work, when I was when I was a nanny, I never knew what like what was okay, what wasn't okay, what was um, benefit wise, what was pay wise, like all of that, because that was it was like a, a it was a legit payment type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had no one to go to for all of that stuff, or even like talking about treatment or anything, you know. Yeah. And you have that with with the union. I have to admit, I'm not like crazy, like gung ho, like I love my union, mm-hmm. but I am grateful. I'm yeah. grateful that I have it because I would not have made a decision to go on strike. Like, I don't mm-hmm. have that type of power, mm-hmm. but the union does, mm-hmm. and the union does, does support it. And I think Chicago in general is a city that supports workers, right. and that's powerful to me, and that's that's something because we're, because we're a union town. The line yeah. of being abused in our, in our field mm-hmm. is so thin, yeah. and having the union there can be very, very helpful. Oh. You are on the planning committee mm-hmm. for the Puerto Rican Festival. Yes. So we're going to tack another thing on to your long resume <laughs> yeah. here. Tell us a little bit of the story. Last year, uh, there was, uh, I don't want to get too into the controversy because I want to be respectful, respectful of your time, but the festival was run by another organization. Two years ago. Two yeah. years ago. Right. They got into some shady stuff. Couldn't do it anymore. Allegedly. Allegedly. Sorry. Know. Yeah, you're right. Oh my gosh. Hang I don't on. know. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> I don't need a cease and desist letter coming my way. Um, allegedly, mm-hmm. which left the future of the Puerto Rican festival up in the air. Yeah. And a lot of people were saying it might be the first time we, we may didn't not have, have a Puerto yeah. Rican festival like in decades. Yeah. Um, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, um, how you got onto the the planning team? How did last year's festival's festival go? And What's in store uh, moving forward? Because it takes place yeah. every June. Every yeah, yeah. It, for Father's Day weekend, okay. um, we kept that tradition. It's actually very very interesting because, like I said, I was gone for three years mm-hmm. um, in LA and in Boston, and so the final year when the festival was all, I wasn't even here. I didn't even go to the festival, um, and so then I when I moved back to Chicago, I got connected with uh, Marissa, mm-hmm. who uh, is part of Las Solitas and was a teacher at Albizu Campos. Friend of the podcast. Yes. We had them on for Lolita Lebron's 100-year birthday. I love those girls. They're amazing. Yeah. Um, they, Quick plug. <laughs> yeah, right. She, so I got connected with Marissa um, mm-hmm. to do, she wanted to do a pop-up, and she saw my brand. Mm-hmm. And um, I had kind of been established with doing the pop-ups in L.A., so I was familiar. She even said the first, she was like, you came in, you had your table, you had your tablecloth. Like, she was so impressed. Um, And that was the event that I met Carlos. Mm. And Carlos... Another part friend of the, of the Puerto show. Rican agenda. Yes, he came on. <laughs> we had him on talk about the Puerto Rican, the Boricua Film Festival. Yes. Yeah. I love his film festival. Yeah. Um, and so he was was doing that event with Marissa, and that's how we how I got introduced to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know all the background because there is an oversight board mm-hmm. for the festival, and um, that was that was created. Um, the agenda is part of it. PRCC is part of it. All of that stuff. And um, somehow Carlos became the executive director of the festival. Okay. And so he was looking for people to help out. The coolest guy. I don't know how he finds some, himself in these positions. Because people um, trust he's him. Always he's always yes. yeah. yeah. He's yeah. amazing. He's, he is a, and I felt this from the moment that I got to talk to him. He is a visionary mm-hmm. and he supports everybody around him. Yes. Um, and that Absolutely. is really cool that, you know, when I when I got on the team, there was like I was like I kind of want to do something like this. He goes, do it. You mm-hmm. could do it, and he trusts me, so I like that. Um, but anyway, he he was he got 
placed as the executive director mm -hmm. and then was kind of looking around for a team. He had made announcements at the agenda, like, if anybody wants to um, join and help mm -hmm. me planning it, let me know. And then he asked me, he was like, I want you to be a part of it. I see the mm -hmm. things that you that you get done. So I said, yes, of course. And I was mm -hmm. like, I can't believe it. Like, I came back to Chicago and I was like, I knew that I was going to do stuff in the Puerto Rican community. That was a big deal to me. Yeah. I was like, I've been Puerto Rican my whole life, but I want to be like involved. Like, mm -hmm. I want to make make moves. Um, and so for it to be on the, the fest planning committee was like, I, I just couldn't even imagine it, you know? Um, and so last year it went, it went okay. It went pretty well. It was, mm -hmm. it was raining so much and yep. that was the most horrible thing. I think on like the most popular days too, right? It was yes. like Saturday it was Saturday. Sunday, like the people's parade was yes. that day. And it was yeah. like the sun, yeah. the God has shown his light on the, on the parade <laughs> and it went wonderful. Yeah. And the, the parade looked so beautiful. And then the moment that people were going to come feed into the festival, yeah. it just started pouring. Mm -hmm. And so I felt really, really sad about mm -hmm. that, obviously. Um, but it but was But I cool. will say, I heard at a Puerto Rican agenda meeting that one I happened to be at, they were reporting on the festival. Yeah. I think it was the first, I can't remember the exact number, but it's um, it was the first time in years where the festival actually was in the green. Yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't it the was black, it wasn't funny. the it was red. Like, he made like, we, he like, was, Carlos was like, we made like $200. Yeah, it was yeah. something like that. Yeah, but, right, right. But technically in the green, yeah. yeah. And and that was an important part. Like, we had to charge. You know, mm -hmm. people were very upset about that. They were like, the festival needs to be free. Um, and I get that. I, I know. I get why mm -hmm. people feel that way. But mm -hmm. the reality is that we had a $0 budget. Right. You know, we inherited something that was... Um, a basically an idea and an mm -hmm. expectation level and no money to put that forward. Right. So we had to do what we could with what we had. Mm -hmm. and so we had to charge. And um and the hope was to make enough money to to then fund things for the following year. Mm -hmm. Obviously two hundred dollars is not enough. So we have yeah, to, you know, right, we have right. to continue to do more sponsorship. That was the other thing. Mm -hmm. Because of um because of how people felt about the festival from before, we got a lot of sponsors telling us no. And they didn't want to be involved. They said, do this one this year and then come to us next year mm -hmm. and we'll talk. Um, mm -hmm. And so we've been having better feedback this year because we're like, look what happened. We had this. We added new things that had never been to the festival. We mm -hmm. added um, the job fair. We added a college fair. We added the Scholastic Book Fair, you know, so I was because I came in and I was like, I want education. I want education and art. That was mm -hmm. a big deal to me. So we brought in some live artists to come in and do live painting. Um, and it, it went well. I want it to be even better. Yeah. You know, I want it to be bigger and better. And we have really big dreams for what's going to happen this year. We're already planning. We're already sitting down. We sat and we're like, OK. This is what you basically did last year. This is what you did and kind of talked about everybody's roles. And then we said, I told Carlos, I was like, look, when I turn to people and I say I'm on the committee, it doesn't speak power to the stuff that I'm able to do in the festival. And we need to speak power to that to tell people what our roles really are. So I officially became the director of arts and education. That's that was the title. And it fits because I'm not I'm not an artist, but I, appre I appreciate art. I support it. And I want it to be at our festival because art is such a big part of our community. Like we, we have artists in every family. We all know that. And so I want to give a space where our artists can come in and create something. And, you know, last year it was like people were, were paying for the festival and they were a little upset that they even had to pay. Mm -hmm. Some Most people, I mean, obviously they came, we made money, like right. they, they yeah. paid for it. But I want it to be that someone comes in, they pay for it and they go, wow, this is really worth my right. money like I want it I want them to hang out yeah. I want them to see beautiful visuals I want them mm -hmm. to just enjoy their time there feel proud mm -hmm. you know we want to bring in um storytelling too like a friend of mine was saying how now that his parents have passed he's like 
I don't want to hear the story about my dad through my uncle who might have been mad at him. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to mm-hmm. hear it from my dad. Like, I want I want that. So mm-hmm. we're trying to figure out different ways to make this more about the community. Yeah. I remember seeing online a lot of chatter about uh, the price that, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they're charging. Because I think yeah. in the previous year, it was just asking for a donation yeah. or something like that. But I mean, like, just pay the money. Yeah. It wasn't, it, honestly, a, what, like, I tend to be very understanding and for to people's financial situations. But y'all were offering some good deals. Yeah. Like, I think kids under a certain age got in for free. free. Yeah. You had packages yeah, where it was, like, kind of like 15 bucks for four people yeah. or something like they that. They had never done wristband yeah. deals and, and Eventbrite, yeah. and we did that. We brought yeah. that in, and it was really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, just the innovation, uh, outside-the-box thinking, um, you know, when looking at other Latinx festivals in the city in Chicago. I mean, no one complains about paying money for the Cuban festival. Um, But, you know, when it comes to looking at even something as simple as the PR Fest lineup, Mm -hmm. like, oh, how come we can't get big acts? Well, how do you think La India or Elvis Crespo are playing at the Cuban Festival? It's because they charge. You know, you got to invest. You got to invest in something in order to get the production out of it that you want. Money's not just going to come out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I was keeping up with all your all videos, doing a little uh, crisis communications with people. We were trying to be transparent. That's good. I'm glad. That was the whole thing. It was like we wanted to be transparent. We wanted to... Mm -hmm. We wanted you to know, like, this is now the people who have it. And this is, we know, we weren't talking about the people who did it before. It was right. nothing to do with that. Like, I, I don't even know. I couldn't pick them out on the street. I have no idea mm-hmm. who ran it before. Um, and so we just were trying to be very transparent and say, this is what you can expect. Yeah. This is why we're charging. Um, and it helped because people were then putting our faces aligned to it. Mm-hmm. It was so funny because um, Marissa and I were constantly referred to as the girls from the video. <laughs> so we were we were out one night at, a, at yeah. like, where were we at? Yeah, we're on the corner by the Bandera. I remember that video. That video, yeah. Yep. It was we, like, we, night, it was like <laughs> the sun wasn't even out. No, it was yeah, nighttime, yeah. but that's what we do. We were like looking around the park. Right, Where do we right. plan stuff? We were trying mm-hmm. to be very purposeful. No, but we were like out at Beauty Bar or something, and this guy's like, are you mm, the girls from the yeah. video? Yeah. And it was so funny because we knew. I was like, man, we're the, the girls from the video. So vague, mm-hmm. but we knew exactly what they were talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. fantastic. So cool. Well, Sabrina, you've been uh, a great guest. Uh, I want to be respectful of your time. We've already gone way over the time (laughs) I told you to expect. Um, How can our listeners keep up with you? Social media, website, like how can they find your store? How can they keep up with you on your channels? Um, My personal Instagram is Es La Maestra. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I have the one for my shop, which is Shop La Maestra. My website links to um, my shop as well, so all of it is in the bio. I have shoplamaestra.com and eslamaestra.com. I try to put more stories, the features that started with the Latina, Educated Latina Mm -hmm. campaign. Those are on my website, Um, my class wish list. All of that stuff is on there. And then, of course, the link to the shop is on there as well. Great. All right. Well, Sabrina Alicea in the building. Thank you so much for breaking down things for us, sharing your knowledge. We appreciated you uh, coming on the podcast. Appreciate that. Thank you. Special thanks to La Maestra Sabrina Alicea for coming on the show. If you enjoyed our interview, let us know. Hopefully, we'll get the chance to welcome Sabrina back to the Paseo podcast soon. The PR Agenda have been hard at work providing relief efforts to the hardest hit areas of Puerto Rico after nearly 2,000 earthquakes have rocked La Isla. So I just want to share a quick update on the progress of the 3Rs campaign for earthquake relief in Puerto Rico. So far, according to the Agenda's social media channels, the campaign has worked with local Puerto Rican-driven initiatives to host a community kitchen in Ponce with Chef Ivoni and the organization Lea Conmigo. That is one of many community kitchens that are being planned. There are more planned for the future. 
Water, food, and art supplies were also delivered to Ponce for children's activities. Uh, so that's all been delivered. Uh, tents, tables, and tarps for an improvised medical clinic were delivered to Santa Elena in Guayanilla. In Panuelas, a solar gazebo, canopies, tarps, multi-game tables for kids and teens were delivered. And a donation was made to support the work of Dr. Iris Zavala Martinez and her team of 20 psychologists spread throughout the areas hit to provide psychological, first aid, and mental health interventions. Now, this is just a fraction of what has been done so far with the 3Rs campaign. It's just a small piece. So if you want to learn more about what is going on with the 3Rs campaign and the progress that's being made and how you can lend a hand, visit PuertoRicanChicago.org. Again, that's PuertoRicanChicago.org. Also, if you are in Chicago, there will be a fundraiser on February 2nd at the Wild Hair in Lincoln Park from 5 to 10 p.m. Live music, stand-up comedy, dancing, raffles, and the Super Bowl will be played if you rock with football like that. And tickets go for 20 bucks if you buy them in advance, $25 at the door, and 100% of proceeds go to relief efforts. Stop by and show your support if you can. If you can't make it out to the February 2nd fundraiser, come by the day before, Saturday, February 1st, to the February meeting of the Puerto Rican Agenda. That's going to be from 8.45 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. at Roberto Clemente Community Academy, right by Western and Division. And directly after that, the Puerto Rican Agenda will be having a fundraiser for the 3Rs campaign. So the Puerto Rican Agenda is going to go from meeting and talking about action items directly to actually taking action and helping raise money for the 3Rs campaign for Puerto Rico. There's going to be vendors, Puerto Rican films being shown, and musical performances. So if you can chip in a little bit, the people of Puerto Rico would really appreciate it. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, connect with us by visiting our website, baseomedia.org, emailing us at baseopodcast at gmail.com, and following us at baseopodcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, we love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode, and see you next week. Cuídate. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.